Welcome to Roguecast, the official podcast of Rogues Gallery. We'll talk comics for the week, as well as whatever news is on our pop cultural radar. I'm Randy. I'm Nick. This is Dave. And now, on with the show. Alright, it's February, and y'all know what that means. Movie challenge time. That's yes. right, that's right. You may not all know what that means. But we did talk about it last we did, week. We did. This is a little thing that we're doing, and we're gonna we're gonna round it out at the end with this. Right? Yeah, I should have remember when was the last time we did this. Uh, to, I saw a reminder on my Facebook from about like two or three years. Okay, ago. that that sounds about right. which sounds while. about right. It's been a little bit. Uh, the movie challenge was some, uh, a little thirty movies in thirty days kind of challenge with some parameters that I, I, I got on a message board I used to hang out on uh, years and years ago, uh, where you try and watch a movie a day for a month, but. We, you, you created some categories to try and push yourself into some interesting uh, viewing. So you might have like, oh, five from the same director or five that are musicals or whatever. And you split it up like that. And we uh, we have what? Uh, I guess there's six categories with five or four, four in one of them one, yes. for the recommended because this is just a 29-day uh, month, yep, right? Because yep, it's leap year. Yep, it's leap year. Um, and uh, you and uh, Randy and me... Dave and him, Nick. Yep. This is for people who are not here in the room with us. Uh, we've all been doing it. Uh, we've got some friends doing it too. And uh, I think, Nick, you're winning. I'd just like the to Nick say there, there is yeah. no winning here. No, you're winning. Um, <laughs> but, but the goal is always like, even if you only just like watch maybe five or ten movies. Uh, of the thing that you might still have tried some stuff you wouldn't otherwise, and so that is indeed Nick. Nick is correct it theoretically in the in, in that uh, that's winning too, but still he's mainly winning. Dave's got me watching movies from 1983. So I feel like you're winning. <laughs> yes, uh, that's that's true, and I am also winning, and you're winning because you've been enjoying some of them. That's I mean, true. Part of the fun of this is stepping outside your comfort zone and yep. seeing what else is out there, and. Maybe opening yourself up to something yep. new and different. And this will be our first week check-in. Yes. yes. Uh, here's here's the, the, some exciting things you have to look forward to when we check in and, and at the end of this podcast. Uh, Randy watching movies from like the 40s and 50s, which yep. is not his usual thing. Nope. Nick watching Scorsese movies, which Even is not his usual thing. Sure. And finding uh, like an unusual one that he liked. Yeah. Um, and me... Um, Turtles. Turtles, yes. <laughs> Nothing but turtles all the way down. Uh, I watched a movie in which if I were to just sum it up and says a person has sex with a turtle that is a real sort of thing that happens yes. but also sort of doesn't it's reductive but it's not untrue it's reductive but it's not untrue that's right <laughs> uh, but I think we've all been having a good time and we'll, we'll yeah. give you the report later uh, later on in the show yes we also got cool comics and, and stuff of course this week yep. talk about new games I think yep. are, are there new games this there week? there are new games in fact that uh, we, we we got uh, horrified Greek monsters which we've been waiting on for quite yeah. a while yeah people meanwhile remember there's two horrified existing games there's the uh, uh, the original Horrified is a cooperative game where you take on the classic movie monsters like the Mummy and Dracula and the Wolfman and stuff. Uh, the next Horrified they made had cool American cryptid monsters, so Mothman, Jersey Devil, uh, Bigfoot. Who are and, the monsters in the Greek monsters? One? I mean, it's the Medusa. It's got to be, gotta be a harpy. Got to be a minotaur. Oh, yeah, harpy is probably a minotaur. I don't know. I don't know if there's any unusual ones. Do they have Scylla and Charybdis? No. Is there... Are there are the, <laughs> the what, what, what lures you to your death against the rocks for ships? Siren. Is there sirens Siren? in there? I don't think so. I've played it a couple times. I don't remember where all the monsters were. Uh, yeah, but it's got to be like Cyclops, Minotaur, like... and Harpy are no-brainers. Maybe. I'm not sure they're all in there. Huh? I know for sure the Medusa's in there. 
they are not in there. I will flip this table. All right. But it's kind of cool because I know it's like where the other ones were like the, the original one was like in a gothic town. Yep. And then the American one was like in like a small American town like you get in like a 50s movie yep. or something like that. And then this one, of course, has like ancient – it looks like ancient Greece with temples and stuff like that. Yep. Nick, what you got? So we've got Medusa. Yes. Cerberus. Oh, nice. Chimera. Yeah. And Minotaur. Just those four. Just those four. I thought there were more. No. Oh, it says six monsters, but those are the only ones that are listed. What are the other two? The other two must be so encrypted. Secret monsters. (laughs) Secret monsters. Yes. Uh, One is Zeus's libido. (laughs) (laughs) And the other one is Vengeful Hera. (laughs) Zeus's libido is a problem for everyone in English. That's right. Yeah. But anyway. um, Oh. uh, Siren and Basilisk. Oh. Okay, yeah, the basilisk. One of the cool things about the Greek monsters one is it actually op- there's like at least in one of the monsters there you have to go to these little temples yeah. and like try to find the temple of the right god. And so so you flip it over it's like oh this is the wrong place this kind of stuff. Yeah, they did something like that as I recall with the Bigfoot mechanic because yeah. the di- main difficulty with Bigfoot is finding, finding him, him which is kind of a neat the, every one of the monsters that you might chase in a game and you'll go after I believe 3 is the standard. Um, has something unique about them. There's not like you, you have to defeat them in some unique way. So, right. Once anyway, you, once you find Bigfoot, he's beating him to death with a baseball bat. It's really easy. I don't. I don't know that that's real. No, that's true. That's that's what you do. That was in How your you weird violent the... fanfic that I reported. <laughs> How do you find the Mothman? Um, he just light up a you. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. You, uh, you, the Mothman is associated usually with disasters, so I wouldn't be surprised if there's some element with, with that or the, or you, bridges. You cause disasters like glass <laughs> in the. In the in the <laughs> People are not going to get these games. They have to... Don't, don't, don't tell them things the games aren't. All right, what other games we got? Uh, we got Catan Starfarer's Duel, which is a remix of the... Uh, Settlers of Catan, everybody knows. Yep. Starfarer's of Catan was the science fiction version of yep. it. Yep. And Duel is the two-player version of it. Yep. Sort of what they've done with Splendor with and Splendor Seven Wonders. And, and, yeah, Seven Wonders, that kind of thing. Uh, not the same designers. This is uh, this is the original uh, Catan designers. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, it's been doing really well. We're, we're, I think we're down to just one copy right at the moment. Um, so when you're hearing this, if, when you hear it, you should hurry in, ignoring traffic laws, yes. to get it. <laughs> yes. Uh, just just don't even open the door. Just crash the window. <laughs> um, there's if, a, you, if you do like a bootleg reverse, you could probably grab it while the car is wheeling around. true, yes. Stop uh, telling <laughs> destroy his Blues Brothers style. But I dare him to. <laughs> um, <laughs> there's a new roller ride called Roll to the Top. Uh-huh. Where you build famous landmarks, you so like, like you're trying to be the last one to build all these famous landmarks. Yep. Um, and uh, and then we've got uh, pollen, which is a game about pollen, pollinating things, or is I, it pollen in the air? I I don't know. Or Why? is it a guy named Johnny Pollen who's a gangster? <laughs> I, not that like last a bee one. gangster. Not, a bee he's gangster. Not. You you create. A, I would play that game. You create a. Lush- he's trying to get like he's trying to get a monopoly on pollen. <laughs> Sorry, Randy, do you have some real thing about the game? No, no, please continue. <laughs> we already had oh. that one game about B, like, in space, the B uh, alien. Apiary. Apiary. Yes, uh, yeah. back in stock next yeah. week. Um, this is you create a lush garden of beautiful blooms in order to attract helpful pollinators. That sounds very fun. It's very fun. I'm sure like, it's a pattern building is, game. Yeah. Is there yeah. a sneezing mechanic? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, I did see somebody in our yes. uh, on our Facebook page uh, snarkily posted this, what was it? I'm personally game. offended by this game. Yes, yes. and... 
uh, as uh, living in Texas, I get it. I mean, I it's get not it. called it's not called cedar. It's just called pollen. <laughs> yeah, well, some some for some people. <laughs> uh, and then the other announcement is that we got tote bags. Yay. Oh yeah, yeah. It has our very cool logo designed many years ago, uh, and, and I still love it. Like I, I, I even mentioned this. I remember just a few months ago, I was like, I love our logo. Uh, by uh, Christian Donaldson, mm-hmm. uh, talented uh, comic artist and graphic designer. Uh, it's got a little. We wanted it to have a little bit of a look of sort of like a Jolly Roger pirate kind of vibe mm-hmm. to it. Um, and he he came through, and it looks very cool on black bags. I yep. believe. Yep. Yeah. So yeah, so. come pick those up. Uh, a good reusable bag for uh, picking up comics and stuff. Yeah, that's true. You can just bring it on in. All right. Let's. Uh Let's talk about comics for January. No, sorry, not January. February. First week uh, of February. February seventh, first week of February. Um, Where do we want to start? Let's start with Thundercats. I think that's okay. probably that's probably the the place to start. So right. This is new series by uh, Declan Shalvey, who you'll know from uh, Moon Knight, and yep. uh, he's done Black White. And, he's uh, the, primarily the, he was the artist. On he was on the artist. And this is uh, art by Drew Moss. This is taking the 80s uh, cartoon uh, property and sort of uh, revamping it a little bit. It's a uh, bit of a time for 80s revamps. We've talked a lot about Transformers and G.I. Joe. Yep. Uh, this one is at Dynamite. Yep. Um, at Dynamite Studios. Um and, and yeah, like so, um, I gave this like a real quick read. I didn't like have time for the the in depth read beforehand, but it seemed like it's very faithful to the lore. Yeah. I don't. Um, I never watched a ton of Thundercats. It was my best friend's like favorite cartoon, and yeah. I was like, "You were Silverhawks." Panther Hawks, was man. cool. You were, it's true. It's, they weren't just cool as Silverhawks. Well, give them time. Nick. You're gonna get, <laughs> believe me, you're gonna get some Silverhawks. I bet. Yeah. I'm sure. But yeah, it, it, if it, it it does seem faithful to you, is that what you're saying? Yeah, like it, like the oh, the the lore about them crashing on. What are they? I think they just call it like New Earth. Earth. Yeah, New Earth. Earth Very Earth specifically, Earth. they were called like Cat Planet or something. Because they were they were leaving Cat Planet because oh. it was being destroyed. Yeah. Okay. Yep. And they were on the run from like an alien uh, race that were trying to kill them all. Yep. Uh, and, and it's weird way it reminded me a little bit of like uh, Beta Ray Bill, like when his people were getting wrecked by yeah. aliens, yeah. and he had to uh, go. The in. bad guy is Mumra, one of the cooler looking bad guys. He is pretty cool actually, and his mutant guys are cool. There's a little bit of an Obi Wan Kenobi knockoff with a dude named Jaga who appears, yep. and I, I I think I had forgotten until I read this that Lion-O, um who has by the way one of the cooler designs I've seen, yeah. and in fact all the Thundercat designs look very cool, uh, and they they pretty much stayed true to him. Uh, Lion-O, I don't know why this didn't or if this happened to the rest of them, but like. His body aged in hyperspace, but he was like like a teenager or something, and now he's like in swole man body. Um, but he's still a teen man. He's still a little bit, little youthful yeah. and experience, and so like Panthro and the others. Panthro, who always was the coolest dude, because he had a he had nunchucks, he used nunchucks, and he had a cool voice. Yep. He had a deep voice. Uh, I'm really uh, drawn to Tiger. He's got this cool mustache-looking thing. Right, uh, that, that is their own take on it. That wasn't quite as prominent no, but, back uh, in the but day. But it's very cool looking. Yeah, it gives him a little bit of a uh, what do you call that? Like, like, like almost like mutton chops, but not yeah. quite the same. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then I forgot the uh, Wily Kit and Wily Cat. Yep, there's a little two little scrappy kids. You know what? Uh, Lion of Sword though is one of the cooler names. The Sword of Omens. Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. that's a cool, cool name. Do you remember Randy that he could like look into the little eye in the center of it, yep. and it would like show him like give me, he's like give me sight beyond sight. Yes, and yes, I uh, he could see see into the girls' locker room, or yes. I mean I mean the <laughs> villain's plans. <laughs> um, anyway, 
Uh, Nick, you read it closer. Um, yeah. And you but had I a mean, good, it, pretty good time with it? Yeah, it's just good action, good, I think, all the characters get to do something cool, which is right. which is nice. It has for it has like a good or like it recaps their origin very quickly and, and jumps like right into a story. But it's a story that features all of the key characters. You're gonna see Mumra and his mutants and all that stuff. I think this is a very good rendition of this book. I, I am I have a little bit of trouble just because. I was never huge into Thundercats, right? But I think this is does what it does really, really well. You know why it's uh, I, it's already better than the previous one that uh, DC did? Like it was like fifteen years ago yeah. when they had the license. Mm-hmm. It was a long time ago, and uh, they had it so that like a little time had passed, and like the Wily Cat and Wily Kit were now teenagers, and they definitely like sexed up the girl. One. I don't like that. Uh, they they were like it was kind of like Britney Spears creepiness. No, thank you. Um, and so thankfully this has not done that. Yeah. Uh, uh, let's let's stick with licensed comics for for a minute and uh, talk about Mighty Morphin Power Rangers: The Return. Again, oh, yeah. I don't think any of us are particular Power Rangers fans. I'm off again on. I mean, I watched it a little bit. Okay, uh, like you are the baby of the bunch in this room. It's true. And uh, so, um, but uh, you, you have you have a little more crossover. I do. Uh, this one is weirdly kind of a Dark Knight Returns uh, <laughs> aspect for it, oh, right, in the they, sense that they've the given that they, they, they've the all given never, up. But the team also never broke up, which I guess is a thing that happened in their lore. So it's like thirty years into them having been the Power Rangers. Well, right? they've stopped. They, they're no longer Power Rangers. They've given it up. Oh, okay. Uh, like Billy runs a like a telecom uh, corporation. Uh-huh. Uh, all, all the other characters are in various things, and then the uh, Pink Ranger has basically changed her name and gone to live in Canada. And there's sort of everyone's coming back to sort of celebrate the death of one of the the Power Rangers, uh, the Yellow Not Ranger. To celebrate the death of the Power Rangers. Well, no, but to like, commemorate, memorialize, We hated him. Glad he's dead. Um, uh, but there's also yeah, that definitely has like a darker, like like kind of a Dark Knight feel. Um, yeah, I mean, it's just a little edgier, a little. Uh, what causes them to have to band together? Does what does Rita do? No, I mean, uh, we don't quite know who the villain is. The Red Ranger, Jason, is the only one still using the uh, Power Rangers' abilities. He's kind of become kind of a one-man army in a lot of ways. Oh, interesting. And he's disappeared. Oh, I saw that that page that showed him and the way he looks, and he looked, right? He looks badass. He looks badass. Yeah. Uh, they some of like these later redesigns of the Power Rangers are really really cool. The like they did a dark pink ranger where she has like a more armored like yeah, yeah. cauldron and all that other cool looking stuff. Uh, did but, we did we say that this is written by the Pink Ranger? We did not. Co-written? This is actually written by Amy Jo Johnson, who, yep. who yeah. uh, was the Pink Ranger in the original show. Might still be the Pink Ranger. We don't know what she's doing. I mean, that's, her, that's true. The, your mention of her having to go into hiding in Canada sounds about like what probably any teen girl who was in a popular TV show would have to. Do. Yeah, she could be she could be fighting uh, Megazords up in uh, Canada. <laughs> but will, that's what Power Rangers do, right? And um, Canadians. <laughs> I will also say that Nico Leon does a really good job of capturing uh, oh, likenesses the because uh, they they look like kind of an older rendition of the character from the actors who play. Right, them. they actually like try to uh, capture a little bit of it. We and, we are living in an era when. Uh, pleasantly, stuff that was like licensed stuff that used to be like kind of throwaway nostalgia books. We've talked about this yeah. before. Actually, have like a shot nowadays. It's not that every single one is good, but like remember a few weeks back we talked about that Garth Ennis James Bond book. Yeah, that was good. a fun yep. messed up yep. b- book. But like 
there was a time when there were no good James Bond comics, <laughs> and true. now now we actually get some sometimes. There's and, just there's just some really cool ideas at play here. I think uh, kind of. Like, they've lost all their Zords, except for the Pink Rangers one. Uh, th- there's just some fun ideas. Okay. Uh, that was a really good issue. All right. All right. Let's talk Ultimate Black Panther, number one. This is the second of Marvel's new Ultimate line. Uh, Ultimate Spider-Man, as you may know, was a massive hit. It's yes. sold out everywhere. Yep. Uh, we have not gotten our restock yet with the, the second printings. Uh, we are hearing the second printings have been allocated, and there'll be a third printing. Right. We're going to try and get what we can, but uh, apologies if it's not as much as we'd like. So the first issue of Ultimate Black Black Panther, uh, sensing this, we were like, oh, I'll bump our orders. I doubled our orders. Unfortunately, uh, they are allocated. We didn't get that either. So this may be a little tight. Uh, If you want it, definitely come in. We're doing one per person. Uh, Make sure and come in like this, this, maybe tomorrow or today as you're listening to this. That would be a uh, early because it, it may sell out. We're, we're, we're or we'll get a second printing back in as quick as we can. Yeah, there's a second printing is already on order. Yep. Yeah. Uh, but this is a um, kind of like Spider-Man. It's sort of a slow burn intro. Yep. Um, but but, it's, but I think the key thing to know is that in this sort of alternate universe, uh, the Khonshu and Ra, the evil, the Egyptian gods, mm-hmm. basically they own all of Africa and they are using their sort of mercenary armies to keep the villagers down. And Wakanda is sort of in hiding from all of this. Yep. I'll quick ask you just a question. Um, are they, um, in general, we don't interact with ancient gods on the Earth. Are they, like, visible, like the people of Africa see them? Or is it, like, their influence? Well, first, do you not? You don't, you don't pray to the ancient gods every day? That's why we have those floods in the store, Dave. I ain't into the Phoenician gods like you. Why did you not pray to Poseidon? That's what happened. I was I was leaving fish out back for weeks. I actually, honestly, I blinded his Cyclops' son. Oh, why? I'm not. I am not praying to him. Well, I'm okay. not doing it. Well, that's why the store was flooded. Yeah. Uh, anyway, by the yes. way, when I try and go home tonight, it's going to take me seven years to go home yes. like Odysseus. Dave's Odyssey. Yeah. Which is funny. She lived really close to the store. I'm like, do I turn right or left here? Oh, a Minotaur. <laughs> it's, the, in, the, in the new days, uh, Poseidon just messes with your GPS. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Where were we? Oh, so, so, but did you answer my, answer my question? There, there's two men in like a black and a white suit who are directing it all. And they definitely seem to be the gods, Ra, and uh, they seem to be... Like, but gods incarnate made... in human forms, in, in it sounds human like. Form. Yeah. yeah, okay. Yeah. They're not, like, standing around as big gods. But I do know that, yes, this is, like, this in a way poises Black Panther versus Moon Knight. Yep. Right? Yeah. So, and and Moon Knight, or, or, uh, or Black Panther, is actually, he is kind of taking the, the tone his father did and sort of, like, keeping Wakanda away from the world. Uh, they're not intervening in these things just yet. Uh, isolationist, right? Yes, isolationist. He's getting he's getting pushback from uh, from his sister Shuri and from some of his scouts. Um, and then there is another person who you might, if you've seen the Black Panther movie, know who it might be, who is being a little more direct in his interventions. And that person is also working with another character you might know from uh, Black Panther. Yeah. Uh, and I really like that. I don't want to say too much because it's the last few pages, but I really like that. There are some neat surprises in there. Yeah. Um, in the same way, there was like, I think we can probably say uh, in Ultimate Spider-Man, yeah, the, the big thing that yeah. uh, that uh, Uncle Ben is alive and in the, this and version, the managing editor of the, of, the, of the paper. Yep, and like close friends with like J. Jonah yep. Jameson, yep. who was like a buddies. better I, version of himself. I honestly thought together. the the scenes with them together were some of the, the some of the strongest they're scenes. They're my favorite stronger. stuff. And this one, I actually, I think, might be Brian Hill's strongest thing yeah, he's written. Sure. I think yeah. there was a lot of really cool I- ideas and nuanced uh, 
things. Yeah. I like some of the character change-ups. It it keeps it a little fresh while also, you know, you'll see a lot of the stuff that you maybe saw in the MCU. Uh, kind of that kind of vibe to it. Right. But, but there's at least like one element that is very much not yeah. unlike the MCU, Correct. which is uh, one of those characters we're walking around a little bit to discussing. Yeah. Uh, but, but yeah, but it's what the it's what the original Ultimate Universe did, which is a little bit familiar and definitely some stuff that's not. Yep. Yeah. And this, this is, of course, all tying into a... This was all a world that was shaped by the maker, a.k.a. Evil Reed Richards, yep. multidimensional traveling Reed Richards. A.k.a. Who, Jonathan Hickman. Jonathan Hickman. <laughs> who, who engineered a world with no superheroes. Right. Uh, and there are... And so it's like kind of having to be re-engineered in a way. Um, uh, or things are going to happen quite differently. Is this so. the second in the three that we know of so far? Yeah, X-Men is the, X-Men one. is yes. the, the one coming. Yep. And that one... Poised to be diff- quite That's different. That's pretty interesting, yes. too, yeah. Uh, we also got Wolverine Madripoor Knights, number one, which is a uh, Chris Claremont-written story. There's a flashback to one of the very popular X-Men issues. Yeah, that cover lived yeah. on. That was uh, Wolverine, Captain America, and Black Widow versus The Hand in Madripoor. Yep. Um, was that set in the present, or was it one of those like flashback so stories was, to World War Two? It was set in the present, but it was also a flashback to World War Two, where okay. or Cold Natasha War or something. was somehow a little girl... And even though she's not immortal, somehow she's immortal. Well, in the preface of this one, in kind of the write-up, it does say that the Red Room did something to Natasha. Okay. Uh, that gave her, like, I mean, kind of like an infinity formula this or whatever. Is probably lightly, could be lightly out of continuity. It it, you know, it's, it's basically, this is call, like a way for Claremont to revisit the old stories and to revisit that team. Yeah. yeah. Which, as far as I know, they really only did the one issue with, Yeah, right? but this is, so this is set in the same time period. This is, um, he's back in Madripoor. And it is like the 90s. His healing factor's not working. His healing factor's not working because it's that point. Yep. Uh, and along the team, in addition to Black Widow, he's also got Psylocke and Jubilee with him. A young Jubilee. A young Jubilee, yes. Uh, and so, yeah, if you if you like that classic pairing, if you liked that issue, which a lot of people did, there's more of uh, Wolverine, Cap, and Black Widow in, in Madripoor having adventures. That, means, have a that love, means Patch. If you have a patch. love for uh, Logan wearing a, a white tuxedo and wearing an eye patch. Yep. Playing his Humphrey Bogart roles. It's true. I mean, it's not a bad look. And it's oh. pretty good. Um, Star Wars has a new one, Mace Windu number one. This is young Mace Windu before, it says on the cover, uh, a mission before the rise of the Separatists in the Clone Wars. So yep. this is like him as an operator of the Jedi Council. And it's like it's like swashbuckling adventure. Yeah, it is. It's, it's really cool. But you know, it's fun. Way, 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 way back when, <laughs> when Dark Horse still had the license in yep. like 2001 or so. Yep. I remember liking to reading some of their uh, comics that were, I think at the time, only like maybe Attack... Uh, uh, I'm sorry... Um, Phantom Menace had come out, and maybe Attack of the Clones. Uh, definitely Sith hadn't yet. And they would occasionally do some comics that were just lost Jedi adventures before the Clone Wars, you know, early days of uh, uh, Qui-Gon and stuff like that. And, um, yeah, they didn't seem to get around to Mace Windu because, well, he was he only introduced in... Or was he in Phantom Menace? He's in Phantom Menace. Yeah, yeah. In Phantom Menace. But I guess because I, I think George Lucas was kind of doing a little bit of hands off on him. He's like, wait, and, let's wait and see his arc play out in the movies yeah. uh, before you guys get to fill in anything in your side stories. Uh, so yeah, that sounds cool. I like the idea of seeing a Mace Windu mission because we just don't see this guy too often. Yeah, he's sent to a, what looks like a sort of a Arctic crimey planet to yeah. recover a. Uh, Scientist who has developed a new formula that will let engines like, move, a jet, like a like, jet engine fuel yeah. kind of thing. And and he, they're like the Jedi want to get their hands on it before 
any of the evil, like the huts or the pikes or any other bad guys. Get I want to go to an Arctic crime planet. We all do. Uh, by the way, that had uh, cool art from George Janti, yeah. uh, who once upon a time had done, uh, was it the Buffy comic? Yeah, yeah Buffy, Buffy. Buffy. And, um, uh, you know, I think we like liked his art, but he was a little, he felt like a little bit of an awkward fit. His likenesses yeah. were not so good. He has definitely improved. Yeah. Like, he really is nice here. looking. Yeah. It's also written by, what, Mark Bernardin? Who did yeah, it's Mark Bernardin. Oh, yeah. What, all, what is he best? I mean, Fat Man on Batman is where Yeah, that's true. But he's he was, had a few legit comics. And also, he point. worked on a, one of the TV shows. He worked on the, one of the Stephen King shows. Oh. Uh, the one, Castle Rock. Yeah, that's right. I he forgot about that. that. He worked on a couple other shows. Yeah. Um, all right. Moving over to DC, we've got Batman number 142, which is part one of Joker year one. Mm-hmm. Yep. This is uh, Chip Zdarsky sort of picking up some of Jeff Johns, did the three Jokers, and doing sort of some flashbacks. And flash forwards. And flash forwards. To like a, a huge, without saying too much, a kind of apocalyptic, uh, a joke, possibly Joker apocalyptic future. Yeah. Um, but aiming to, uh, I, I don't know, like I guess both flesh out sort of the events right after what Killing Joke, yeah. probably. Yeah. You know, uh, and probably propel some new stuff forward. Um, uh, there's definitely a lot of like sort of mystery to this one, yeah. but yeah. also some Batman Year One vibes. Uh, it ha- it does have young Commissioner Gordon in it yep. and stuff like that. Uh, I expect that is probably going to be a pretty big thing. Yep. Uh, we've got uh, uh, Red Hood, The Hill. This is a reprint of some stories from uh, Sean Martinborough that was basically setting up a, a neighborhood in Gotham that is sort of Red Hood's territory. Uh, the Hill is, is what it's called. Wow. It's I feel like people in. would actually live in terror there the way they sometimes are depicted as with Batman, but like probably yeah. more terror. Yeah. Uh, they're definitely giving him his own blood haven, essentially. They okay. set up some new villains. They use Killer Croc in an interesting way. Yep. They set up a new ally. Um, Red Hood is a character a lot of people like, and they never seem to... His, his, he hasn't had his own solo book in a while. Yeah. So this is a, this is a reprint. But number one of the new series starts should be coming out in a few weeks. Yeah, it's a good first issue, I thought. We've got uh, Suicide Squad Kill Arkham Asylum number one, which is a polybag book. We haven't just chance to read it. Uh, it's written by Chew creator John Lehman, but a prequel to the video, game. and is a prequel to the new video game. So, and the reason it's polybagged is because there's codes that will let you give you cool skins or something like yep. that. Some yep. cool good in game cool skins goodies. in the game. Uh, I don't. I don't know that for sure. If you rub it on yourself, it will give you. <laughs> I mean, this is written by John Layman. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Um, we also have DC's uh, Valentine Special. This is one yeah. of their ten dollar uh, multi character, multi character, multi creator uh, anthologies. Yep. But uh, one worth mentioning in particular: the uh, great name they chose for this year's. Yes. Uh, DC's How to Lose a Guy Gardener in 10 Days. <laughs> um, uh, and in fact, uh, Guy Gardener gets the opening story, yep. um, which was quite good. Ah. It's uh, uh, it has a specific premise that Vicky Vale, vale from who, who's Gotham uh, reporter, is uh, writing a unbeknownst to him. Right, is writing a story about like what dating a superhero, mm-hmm. and she's kind of gotten with an eye towards the bad side of it. And uh, and indeed, he's the kind of kind of obnoxious loud he usually is. It's played tongue in cheek, but there's also a little heart to this yeah. story. There's a little bit more to it. I actually thought it was a really cute. It's, it's and, really uh, good, well done story. And I, I've only read that story and the next one because I wanted to read it because it was written by the guy who's the showrunner for Star Trek Prodigy, mm-hmm. and I thought that was quite good too. It's a story about uh, the android uh, Red Tornado from the Justice League. 
And he's it's it's like Valentine's Day, and he's left to safeguard the thing because although he has occasionally had human relationships, kind of like the Vision did, yeah, um, he's been reassembled many times, and he talks about having that felt like he's like lost a little bit of humanity each time he's reassembled, and so he's like, I'll I'll watch the thing. I don't have I don't have anyone to go to or whatever, and he seems okay, but he's clearly a little bit sad. But Batman has this new, essentially, it's like a chat GPT thing, uh, like an AI that he's like, hey, could you just run it through its paces and interact with it a little bit while we're away? Did you not learn anything with OMAC? <laughs> <laughs> um, this is not that kind of story, Nick. It's no, I know. I'm special. kidding. I'm kidding. Um, and and what, what follows is actually pretty interesting as he reflects on an old flame of his... Um, and 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 tries to interact and get some advice from the chatbot as to whether uh, she's been on his mind a little lately and whether he should uh, check in on her or not uh, on Valentine's Day. Uh, but anyway, yeah, um, uh, I don't usually really like anthologies, but I can say that at least of the two stories I've read, they were both pretty good. So, you know, as I flip through, the art is pretty good on all of it. There's some really good art in these. Yeah, there. I forget who it was in the. Is that? Well, Constantine's uh, story... Oh, Marguerite is, Sauvage always does really amazing work. Constantine's art has, has art by Derek Charm, which I really like. Yep. And The Flash has sort of painty art by... Yeah, it's, Mar- it's uh, Marguerite Sauvage. Yep. Yeah, there's there's some good stuff in Yeah, here. I saw that Constantine one, and it looked really good. So I, I'm going to give the whole thing a read in the next few days. Uh, if you like Valentine's, but you don't like DC Comics and Guy Gardner... <laughs> We can also offer up Kaiju Valentine's this week. That's true. Uh, Godzilla's Valentine's Day special, which I know Nick was a big fan of. I'm a big fan of this one. I, I liked the concept. It's, it features a, a young woman who, in the wake of a Godzilla attack in uh, San Diego, uh, loses her job because her job was destroyed. Her place of business was destroyed. Mm-hmm. So she becomes a monster hunter. Not hunter in a sense, but she's like. Goes after information about monsters. Right, she's trying. She's almost like a one-person early warning system, yeah. like trying to like, you know, tweet out social media out all the information as and quick as possible. And she starts butting heads with the government organization who are actually hunting monsters. Right, uh, and but a there's kind of maybe a little bit more of a connection. Yes, I thought it was really sweet. It was really well done. I liked the art quite a bit. Uh, it's just a fun one shot. It yep. really, really was. And, and these uh, interactions between them tend to take place around monster fights. Yep. Like, uh, is it? Do you say Angiris? Angiris? I I don't know. He's I the perpetual know. loser of the Godzilla guys. <laughs> it's like an Ankylosaurus. And I, but that means that I like him because I do like the underdogs. But like Ghidorah shows up at one yep. point, and uh, Godzilla is definitely all over, yep. over the place. Yep, it's 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 a fun story. They 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 kind of did something fairly legit. I think. I think so too. Really good art. Nice. Uh, and then we've got the One Hand, a new image book from writer Rom V. And uh, that's prolific. Artist Lawrence Campbell with art with uh, colors by Lee Lawfridge. This looks very much like a Brubaker book. It vibes like a Brubaker it's book. It's like a future neo-noir, yeah. serial killer, uh, focusing on a detective who is basically All at retirement. retirement. Yep. I mean, yep. he's like uh, Danny Glover in Lethal Weapon. <laughs> uh, he pulls himself in for one last case because it's a serial killer he thought he'd caught twice. You know yep. what's funny? As I read that description when I was making the sign, and I'm like, I've read enough stuff from Ram V to know that he's not usually like super tropey. Yeah. Um, and he may start, so I feel like he may start there, but I, I'm, I'm kind of assuming that it goes a little someplace different. Well, I mean, already the, the nature of the serial killer is clearly something weird. Maybe, yeah, maybe supernatural, maybe, uh, 
it's futuristic. Some, it's odd, yes. Because yeah, it is, this has like, uh, I, I haven't had a chance to read it yet, but just being any sort of near future noir, like, is there a little Blade Runner? There is. There, there is, is a little yeah, bit of Blade yeah. Runner. There's uh, some interesting places that he goes to. And I, and I didn't realize this because I didn't read the kind of tease of yeah. uh, the... There's but, going but, to be a second book. There's going to be a companion series that seems to be from the point of view of the killer. Which okay. is a really cool oh, idea. That's kind of fun. And it's written by a different person, yep. Dan Waters, and yep. a different art. So uh, it'll be kind of interesting to see how these two fit together in ways. What if Dan Waters is Rom V's serial killer personality? I mean, if so, <laughs> cool. <laughs> no. Uh, oh, my God. I was, exci- I was excited for this one. Yeah, it was, it's, it's it was a good start. Sure. I think we all like that. Um, third issue of Beneath the Trees Where Nobody Sees, the uh, Richard Scary's Animals Serial Killer. Other yeah, serial killer book. Probably <laughs> my favorite book right now, along with the like G.I. Joe and G.I. Transformers. Yeah. yeah, That is quite the assortment, by well, the way. It, it is. It is. Giant the, robots, paramilitary organizations. And serial killing and, animals. And furry serial killers. The yes. book always goes in interesting places. It never yeah. does what's expected. This, yeah. this one was an interesting uh, kind of... Uh, the, our serial killer is trying to figure killer, out you know, who the other our serial lovely, killer is. Uh, she's like, uh, what does she, she work at the hardware store? She owns it? the hardware store. She owns the hardware store and is like beloved in the community. Yeah, People yeah. are always like, oh, hey, Miss So-and-so. Sam, I believe, is it Sam? Yeah. And no, Sam's the bear. That is that's what I mean. That's what I'm talking about. Yeah. Not, the, not the other person. No, right. not the other person. And so what we have is her going pretty hardcore in her detective work, this yes. one, and some pretty interesting things that come yeah. out of yeah. that. Just, uh, like Nick said, not where I expected right. it to go. Yeah. Uh, and that is that is one of the coolest things about the book, in addition to the really amazing watercolor artwork. Yes. Um, couple graphic novels. We got uh, Amulet Volume 9, the final volume in Kazu Kibishi's... Um, oh, yeah. Sort of science fiction fantasy. Yeah, his all ages. All ages been been coming for classic. a while. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm super excited to read. I may want to go back and reread. We and had catch up. Kazu Kibuishi out to the store many years ago. Yep, like yep. 15 years ago or yeah, something like yep. that when this was beginning yep. getting rolling. He was uh, he was our guest for Staple at that point. Yep. And he, um, um, you know, would go on to like uh, after that, like kind of hit it big and do like uh, a version of like all the Harry Potter books. Like yep. he did the covers did for the covers. one of the printings. Yep. Yep. And I'm like, man, in a way, you can't get higher than that as a illustrator kind of person. Um, but <laughs> this has always been his baby. People are always asking, when's the next one? When's the next one? Um, the time has come. The time has come. Time has so, come. like, also, but like, uh, you know, I guess I would say, in addition to it's finally here. If you haven't heard of it, if you've got like younger kids or niece or nephew in your life who liked Bone or any of the kind of like like all ages stuff like in the Pixar sort of right. or if you like Miyazaki stuff is very Miyazaki yeah yeah times. Miyazaki would be another good touchstone uh, this it's a nine volume series you know you, we we generally keep them as well stocked as we can so if you wanted to come try out the first one you now know this has a is a complete cycle and if you get it for a kid who digs it you've got birthday gifts for them for like nine birthdays <laughs> and or Christmases wow, they or, or, or one graphic novel a year by the time they by the time they finish reading it they'll be old men it's that's about the pace it came out no no in fact to, it's faster than the pace you it have came to out. you have to do the binge mode you give them all nine volumes at once oh if you're a rich man <laughs> yeah, da, da, da. Or you give them volume nine and they get to work their one back. Yeah, it started yeah, to start, go yeah. into I, I, I heard. Yeah. <laughs> um, on the other end of the spectrum, very much not for kids, what we, we have uh, Peacemaker Tries Hard. Oh. Yes, the <laughs> very, like the Peacemaker TV show, uh, uh, darkly funny and R-rated, R-rated. Uh, uh, Peacemaker miniseries. Um, 
Uh, I forget. Was he going after his, his dog? Well, someone kidnaps his dog, Bruce Wayne. Yes. Yes. <laughs> um, yeah, he teams up with an old uh, Golden Age hero. It was very funny. Death it was Stroke very was much, involved. Uh, we, can, we can say who the Golden Age heroes, right? It's no. like it's an obscure hero, but like, well, you, I guess I'd say this: if you know how weird some Golden Age hero yep. characters are, when they were looking through them, they were like, "Let's pick the weirdest one." Yeah, he's a weird one. <laughs> I think if you liked the Peacemaker TV show and want something that kind of follows in the footsteps, this actually captures this. Is, this is exactly Agreed. that show, and it's uh, Kyle Starks who's writing. I generally like. Yep, yep. He does. I hate this place for image and, most recently. Uh, who's the artist? Stuff. Is it uh, Steve Pugh? Steve Pugh is doing some really great and stuff. And his art is, I think, the best art I've seen from him in like Agreed. ten years. Agreed. Uh, just a few other things for me this week. Like, there's a lot of my favorites hit the new Birds of Prey, Fantastic Four, Doctor Strange, Sensational She Hulk, which has a uh, girls' night out with Captain Marvel and Hellcat. Oh, that's cool. And uh, Avenger Jay McKay's Avengers continues its second story arc. Uh, anything else? I think I said all of the all of mine. Yeah, I, I said all of mine. Ready? All right, we mentioned the uh, facsimile things last week. We right? did. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Just a reminder: we got those. All right, uh, we're going to take a break, and then we're going to come back and talk about our movie challenge. As promised, we are going to give you a rundown of our first week of movie challenge. Right, and Dave, quite varied here. You've seen five, I've seen five. I believe that's right. Nick's seen ten? Fourteen. Fourteen. Nice. He's halfway through the challenge. <laughs> halfway through the challenge. He's ahead of the game. He could go and take a week off and just relax if he wanted, True. but he won't. No. Because he's a machine. He's a machine. It's what watches do. He's all he does. He's a killing machine. Yes. He's like Clubber Lang in Rocky Three. Yeah. This guy is a wrecking machine, Rock, yes. and he'll kill you to death inside of three rounds. Yeah. That's an actual line, roughly, from the movie. No. Yeah. <laughs> None of us watch Rocky Three, though. No, but, we've all seen oh, it. but you know, real quick aside, uh, well, Carl, Carl Weathers, Weathers died. He did, and like I actually posted like uh, when I was thinking about him, I posted the end scene from Rocky Three, which I feel like is a kind of a great one of the coolest end scenes yeah. ever. Their private spar, like yep. let's finally settle once and for yep. all. Yep. It's got freeze frames. two old guys, freeze frame, perfect ending. Um, so you don't have to, you don't. They didn't have to pick sides. Didn't have to pick you sides. You in your head can be like, I'm sure that Apollo Creed. Beat Rocky Balboa to an inch of his life. <laughs> that made him beg for he made mercy. Him beg for mercy. <laughs> well, another person might be like, I am sure that that Rocky one punch knocked out Apollo Creed, just like Batman did to Blue Beetle. <laughs> yes. Whatever you choose. He did to Guy sure. Gardner, by the way, not Blue Beetle. Oh, uh, you're right. Guy it would Gardner. be cruel if he did it to Blue <laughs> Beetle. He's, be, a, he's right. a nice guy. Yeah, he would be. Uh, or you know, you can be like. I am pretty sure that Godzilla dropped in and kicked them both in the face. No one's to say. It's freeze frame. So it's the perfect way to end a podcast, actually. Let's, uh, let's end it here and people can assume what happened. Three-way punch. Three-way punch. Uh, real quick on the Carl Weathers front, though, is say, uh, uh, of course, we're sad to lose this guy. And there's some like cool stuff you can catch if you want to sort of do a, do a memorial uh, watch. Uh, the big ones would be like Predator, yep. Action Jackson. Yep. Uh, Rocky movies, uh, but I think especially Rocky Three, uh, Arrested Development. Yep, great comedic turn. He's great in Arrested Development. Um, and did you hear about that? That they wanted to, the guy who did Arrested Development wanted to do like a like a Rocky like jokes. He would just come on and do a kind of a Rocky pastiche, and Carl uh-huh. was like, "Can I just be funny?" Yeah, and and, yeah. and, and, and came up with his own thing. Oh yeah. man, uh, so that was like a, that was a great. lot of his suggestions yeah. and yeah. stuff. That's that's great. Well, uh, also he. 
started directing episodes of The Mandalorian. I mean, right, that, and I that was, was like, that was the last thing I was going to mention. Of course, his uh, is it Karga Grief Grief Karga Grief Karga. Yeah, yeah, Mondo. Yeah, who I was like, I have like for the last few years have been endlessly. If I ever say Mando, I've got to be like Mando. <laughs> Um, and uh, I did think it was a cool thing that his character on that show basically got a happy ending. Yep. I feel like Star Wars better leave that character untouched at this I point. Agree. I, agree. I can't find out that the Emperor came, or they, 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 that was a test planet for the Death Star or something like that. Right, through right. Death Star 3 and they blew it up. Um, because that's such a cool ending. He it got is. to be the magistrate. Yep. Um, and got a bunch of fun stories at the end. But anyway... A uh, little side about uh, Carl Weathers there. Um, what made you? What made us divert to that? You divert. You did the version. What do you I want know, to but me? something came up. Movie challenge. Movie challenge. Yeah, but why was I talking? About, why would I divert to that? I don't, because we forgot about it. Um, we wanted. We, yes. It was so something notable. Been, okay, okay. I don't yeah, know. Sure. I thought. I. I don't know why. I don't know why. I don't right. know why. Maybe it was just the movie challenge thing. There might have been something else. Somebody rewind and tell us why we did that. <laughs> <laughs> I know we talked about uh, Nick's many many viewings and ours. Yep. Oh, oh, how do we want to Clever Lang? Clever you got the Clever Lang. I started Dave. quoting it. Yes, Nick is a wrecking machine. <laughs> sure yes, yes. Mr. T is to be thanked for this uh, this diversion. That's right. No, um, no need to rewind. All right, Nick, since you have more movies to cover, do you want to tell us about a few you, of the movies? You tell us about two of yours, and then Dave and I will say about one of ours. Okay. Okay. Let's do that, then. So I'm going to talk about uh, one. I don't. I have no idea why I've never seen this movie before. Uh, Third Man. Uh, Orson right. Welles. 1950s? Uh, yes. This is in the category movies from before 1960. Yes, yes. this is, and I will actually just bring up because I forget. So who, or, or is, it is it John McRae? Or is it John McRae? Joel, Joel McRae? Perhaps. Is uh, Orson Welles direct, right? Is that is that not right? No, it is not. Oh, is there it was a uh, long he thought. He actually just stars. There was oh. long thought that he did direct it because it uh, feels okay. very much like his other it's movies. Like Carol Reed. Yeah, Carol Joseph Reed. Joseph Cotton is the lead. Joseph and, Cotton, sorry. Okay, yeah. Anyway, but like most of our most of our people aren't going to know who these actors and are. And they're it's written old, by Graham Greene. They're old-timey actors. I don't know who these people are either. Yeah, so let's focus on the plot. I mean, this is like a quintessential noir film uh, about a... Uh, a man who gets who's supposed but it's to essential, but it's not like a gangster movie. Like no, I, no. But can it's, I give you the logline from IMDb? Sure. Pulp novelist Holly Martins travels to shadowy post-war Vienna, only to find himself investigating the mysterious death of an old friend, Harry Lime. Yeah, he's supposed to be coming uh, to Vienna to for a job to work for Harry Lime. Uh, he is a novelist. He writes westerns. Uh, just a lot of fun trappings. There's. Uh, uh, the female lead of this, which I'm going to blank on her name, but all right, people listen to one can know her anyway. But I mean, you brought this up. You kind of this was one of your recommendations, but I fit it into this uh, before 1960s category. Yeah, yeah. Uh, there's a couple of things that really kind of set it apart, not only for just story reasons, but the way it's shot. There's some style to uh, it. The style, which is referred to as Dutch angles, is the kind of right. uh, shot of the camera. Right. Uh, the camera's like actually tilted askew. It, it which is. Older people might know as like this style that they showed the Batman villain hideouts and Batman villains yep. in the '60s Batman show. Uh, most people don't do it. You usually have a level camera, yep. but here it suggests like things being like out of joint and 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 distorted. Dave, what was the funny thing? What was the director who sent sent a note to Carol Reed? You told me about this. It said, uh, you know, send them, a, send them a level or something like that. Oh, yeah. He's like, he's like, you know, next time you can just use a level to get your camera straight. <laughs> There's a lot of harsh lighting. Uh, uh-huh. Throughout, especially sort of towards the end, where they're in kind of yeah. sewers, 
uh, and then uh, the the score, the, the score uh, which is completely done on a zither, uh, it yeah. is works really well with the story, but it's it like also a kind of instrument. It kind of uh, counterbalances and gives it this like kind of poppiness that right. uh, otherwise it's, it's it would jaunty have. music. It's it so, is. sort of sounds like uh, this jaunty string music, like you're like plucking almost like a banjo type of thing. And you would think it was some kind of lightweight movie, but then there's this very dark things happen, like, um, but, oh, I, mean, I don't know, but people get is... poisoned by medicine laced with... Well, no, they they were diluting it, essentially, oh. to kind of stretch it. Right, and so the medicine's not as effective. Correct. Right. Uh, but the story is a, kind of an, a Hitchcockian story about a guy who uh, is an sort of every man in kind of ways he's a writer but yeah. and then he gets kind of drawn into this kind of conspiratorial thing yep. with his friend and like the uh local police and they're in this place where it's kind of ruled by several different factions right so there's Vienna, a, Vienna the time, there's like a russian faction there's the the british and, and it's a very unique locale and seeing kind of all that interaction was just really interesting uh I absolutely adored this movie. It was really good. It was and, and so much. Fun. We have to mention Orson Welles as the villain, Harry Lyme, when yeah. he, he finds out his friend is not so dead. Oh, spoilers for a movie from the nineteen fifties. <laughs> and uh, actually, his his first appearance <laughs> in the in the alleyway is is, is one of these amazing yep. moments. Yeah. Well, and he also uh, gets one of the best kind of uh, rants, soliloquies, monologues. Yeah. I guess a monologue is what yeah. it is. Yeah, uh, that is like He's, apparently he wrote. He oh, did write that. It's good. He's basically it's his advocacy for the innovation that comes from war. Yep. He's like, hey, you know, you get stagnation in a in a in a peaceful uh, um, country. War pushes people to be more innovative. It grows technology and all this. But he does it in this very blithe and kind of charismatic way. It's just and you'd his almost delivery. be like. You're making sense there, Harry Lyme. Yep. <laughs> he so wins this, you over. This won the Oscar for Best Cinematography, yep. Black and White, in the 1951 Oscars. Okay. Um, up against Sunset Boulevard, which Oof. we'll talk about, and All About Eve. Yeah. Um, and also, uh, it, it was nominated for Best Director, uh, which it lost to... Uh, I don't know where... Where's Best Director? I don't know. Um it, it, it lost. It lost best director, but I'm sure it lost to someone. Man, that's because uh, it was a. So the best picture nominees for this year were Sunset Boulevard, uh, All About Eve, Father of the Bride, King Solomon's Mind, and something called Born Yesterday. Okay. Yeah. And uh, yeah, it's it's a it's a pretty. It was a pretty stacked year for uh, for, Seems for like. stuff. So. But um, yeah, it's the one that's best cinematography award. And his with another picture. Yeah, and, and then the uh, an, my first animation that I watched was uh, one I'd never seen. Been around since 1978. Yep. This is uh, the adaptation of uh, Watership Down. Oh, that's right. Oh, yeah. Did we uh, not talk about this? I guess you and I talked about this, but we, we haven't did. talked about it on the podcast. No, no, no. This is our first week of talking about these right, things. Right, right. Uh, so yeah, I... 70s animation is horrific. <laughs> or it can well, be. Well, this one is. Um, this is, this is the one like with the rabbits. Weird. If you've ever heard anybody talk about it, you know it's the one... Well, it opens up with one of the rabbits in a warren uh, getting a prophetic uh, dream that their warren is about to be destroyed. 
right. or some should, big thing is about to happen. We should say these aren't quite Disney rabbits where they might be wearing clothes uh, and, and talking no, quite no, like that. No, no, they're just straight up just rabbits. They are just rabbits, and they more or less have the constraints a rabbit would have in thinking, but they also have their own sort of mythology and lore that was invented in the novel that this is based I will, on. I will say, it doesn't open with that. It opens with a spectacular animation of the creation of... Their creation like, myth. Their creation myth. And I, I was just like... This is one of the coolest creation myths I've seen. It's really good. It's like, just w- succinct and well done. The animation is... And it feels like something that, you know, uh, the, the, there's a rabbit trickster hero yep. in it. Like, they're Odysseus or Br'er Rabbit. And he's... Um, it kind of shows you how he beca- got the... Rabbit's got the fast legs and the warning with the thump, thump, thump. Yep. And stuff like that. And... Like it's there's like so a, there's like a little bit of lore to it, and but it's all happens in just like two or three minutes. It's, it doesn't overstay its welcome. But after that, it becomes kind of this like her, uh, horrendous adventure film in a yeah. lot of ways yeah. about so these sort people. of a survival adventure. Yeah, trying to find uh, a new home, and it leads into various places. There's a lot of set pieces. Uh, they have to deal with anything from like like it could be like cars and trains and stuff like to that, rats. which they don't really quite understand what they are they're like they have their own terminology for all of these like human built things right like one of them is like who's like kind of a tough rabbit big wig big wig they they all have it's a British production so they have very British names and that was a British term I was texting you uh, or messaged you uh, right when big wig had a horrific thing happen to him and I was like oh my god this 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 rabbit has blood like churning out of its mouth yes he has (laughs) there's a wire snare in a uh, field that they realize is filled with snares and it's almost like Walking into a landmine. Thing. I'm just like this is this is awful. Yeah, but weirdly, you know what? Uh, what's funny is the book that it's based on, which I also really like, is actually a little less violent. Like, I guess maybe bringing it to life visually, they leaned into it. But I mean, the story from there is kind of adventure. Or and I mean, in a, if, if you take out some of the sort of somewhat extreme moments of violence, it's a pretty classic adventure with these rabbits traveling around, and they run into another Warren that's kind of. Fascistic is yeah. the only other uh, way to put it. Oh, but they 100%. also just get caught and put in uh, some hutches by, like, what, a farmer or something like yep. that. And they have to escape. And at one point, they run into a goofy bird. <laughs> the uh, bird was, like, uh, I, like my life raft in some of, like, the dark times. Yeah. <laughs> he, he's he's horror, horror. The he bird with a sort of thick foreign accent. Yep. And, uh, like, but... He's a seagull. He likes to live in the sea. He's both uh, cranky and kind of sweet. Yep. I also just talked about the animation style. It's beautifully hand-drawn. It's wonderful. And the main rabbit, or one of the main rabbits, is voiced by John Hurt, uh, who who turns in just a phenomenal... All of uh, the English actors are good, but John Hurt as the lead, hero rabbit Hazel, is is particularly good. Uh, I cannot recommend this one more. It is very, very good. Yeah, I think, um, you know, people do fixate on the violence, and I think it's worth knowing that it's without going, going into it. But in a lot of ways, I still compare it to something like Lord of the Rings. It is an epic quest of sorts. It, it has, and, and like Lord of the Rings, I want to say it has an ending that's both heroic and also kind of sad. And uh, you know, I it, it's kind of a little perfect story in its own way. But I will say, if you do have like a love for animals, it can be tough to watch at times. Right. 
Or you can be like me, who has a love for animals but has no trouble watching it. Because <laughs> it's just fake cartoon animals. It ain't a, real. Hey, my cats were watching this while I watched it. They actually were watching it. <laughs> uh, Dave, what about you? Which... Why don't we? What do you want to talk about? Are the two movies we watched simultaneously? Yeah. So let's talk about the Billy, Billy Wilder double feature. I did. Yeah, Billy so, Wilder. For people who don't know, is one of the most famous directors. I'm going to say of roughly like what the 50s through the 60s and 70s. Yeah. yeah. Um, 40s through 50s and 60s. Yeah, yes, there we go. 70s, yeah. Uh, so, uh, we watched, Dave, you watched Billy Wilder stuff a few years ago when you did a movie challenge and it sort of became a fan. Yes. Uh, I, I really like a lot of his movies. In some ways, like, uh, if, if you're not, like, super well versed in his stuff, the one you're most likely to have heard of, which Randy watched, uh, was uh, Some Like It Hot. Yeah. It's uh, sort of Marilyn Monroe comedy where two guys. Dress in drag to uh, hide out from a mo- from the mob. I, I believe this was the original guys dress in drag movie. I think this, I think this, this so. Sort of originated the the concept, which then led to like bosom buddies and white chicks. Right. And there had to have been like like I think it must have been like in vaudeville and stuff. Maybe, but, but like this was the first movie. This was to the do big it, one yeah. for sure. And yes, it's uh, it's Tony Curtis. We'll just talk about it. Yeah, sure. It's, we're uh, we're some, halfway there. I'm like it hot. I've watched three Billy Wilder movies to, to kick this whole thing. Yeah, off. yeah. Uh, they were the good ones I watched. And he's he's <laughs> noted for like kind of real smart dialogue. Great uh, stuff. Um, and so, so, yeah, Randy, to go on. Some Like It Hot is um, a couple of uh, musicians in Depression-era Chicago, uh, Tony Curtis and Jack Lemmon. Mm-hmm. Uh, they witness a gangland shooting. It's basically sort of the Valentine's Day massacre. Right. Uh, by Spats Columbo. Right. His gang. Which sounds so serious, but, like, this is a goofy comedy. Yeah. Uh, but... They, they narrowly escape being killed as witnesses, and they decide they've got to get out of town. <laughs> and the easiest way to do it is their agent was looking for a couple of girls who played bass and, <laughs> and fiddle, I right. think, uh, which are the instruments they play. So they decide they're going to dress as women... And uh, and flee to Florida, and then once they're once they're in Florida, they'll they'll you know they'll just leave, and that'll be it. Yeah. But instead, they meet uh, Sugarcane. I forget her last name. Uh-huh. Uh, played by Marilyn Monroe. Yeah. Uh, they both kind of fall for her, and they decide to stick around with these women, and and one of them decides to try and woo her. Right. And it starts with like kind of an extended sequence on a train yeah. where they're sharing compartments with them, and. Uh, although this has some of the kind of jokes you would expect, which is like, oh, we get to see the ladies undress or yep. whatever, it's actually kind of oddly progressive in a fair amount of ways. It, it is, and also, it's, it's interesting, like, they're they're not made up to be like, oh, these are such ugly broads. Like, they're they're made up to look like uh, like women, so that, like, they get hit on constantly. Yeah, and one um, of them even comments, it's like, oh, being a woman is, like, super tough. Yeah, like, I they, didn't they, know. It was, for 1949, I was very surprised how progressive yeah. it was. Um... But also, like they they wind up in this in this uh, in Florida at this hotel. Um, Marilyn's character expresses an interest in, in marrying a millionaire, uh-huh. and uh, that leads one of them to pose as a millionaire, <laughs> while the other one is wooing an actual millionaire as a woman to keep him distracted, so they can use all the millionaires' yacht and stuff. It's screwball comedy. It's really funny. Yeah. Um, it has the last line of this movie cracked me up because it did not expect to go where it went. It, it's one of those lines that it's weird to say this, but has aged extremely well. Extremely well, well. yeah. Uh, like, in fact, it's, become, it's made it much cooler in a way, but also it feels like at least some of what we would take it as now was intended also in the original. Yeah, It's yeah. not like, so, so, yeah, hats off to that one. Yeah, delightful fun, uh, but he is also, really, in addition to comedies, he's really known for doing noir. Right. 
He's um, usually got kind of a jaded, cynical attitude yeah. in his movies. I think that's why his stuff holds up so well. Uh, let's let's talk about so, Double Indemnity Double first. Indemnity. So Double Indemnity is in 1944. Uh-huh. It is, I believe, credited with the, the term noir had not been invented before this movie. Oh, interesting. The French basically created this term for this movie. <laughs> um, so the, the log line from IMDb is... A Los Angeles insurance representative lets an alluring housewife seduce him into a scheme of insurance fraud and murder that arouses the suspicion of his colleague, an insurance investigator. And that is more or less what it's about. Yes. But, like, the dialogue and the suspenseful interpretation of it all uh, really elevates it. And I want to say the thing that maybe most impressed me in this is that... um, yeah, you know um, how smart everyone is yep. in it. Honestly, yep. he is. He works with a guy who's an insurance investigator, played by Edward G. Robinson, who's famous for like almost the stereotype gangster. He's like, we're gonna rub him out. See, yep. that was that's Edward yep. G. Robinson. Yep. But here he's playing like the white hat in the sort of. Except our lead character is a is a kind of skeevy dude, and you kind of want to see him get away with it yep. because that's just how suspense works. Edward G. Robinson is my favorite part of this movie, he's and, and you're so like, good. and he is super smart. He yep. is like freaking Sherlock he's, Holmes. Yeah, he's got the detective thing. He figures out he figures out the one flaw in their murder plan that, which is a pretty good murder plan. It's a good to be murder honest. plan. Like like this guy's an insurance agent. Fred McMurray is an insurance insurance agent. He should he knows how to craft a murder. So that they like they won't look into it, right. and that they're going to get all this money. And he knows he has a friend who's really sharp, and he's like, he's like, he's going to be good. So we got to outthink him. Yeah, and so he, they almost do. Yep. But and also, by the way, the the woman in question, Barbara who is Stanwyck. kind of in, in many ways presents a classic femme fatale. But one of the interesting things is like, there's once or twice where she gets kind of brought in for questioning by yeah. Edward G. Robinson suddenly. Yeah. And you're like, oh, she hasn't. He hasn't had time to coach her on how to prepare for this, and she she handles it. Yeah. And I'm like, oh, she's she's smart too. In fact, yeah. maybe smarter than we all guess. Yes. Um, uh, yeah. It, it, this is a really great sort of the, the murder itself takes place about halfway through the movie. Yep. And then the rest of it is like watching the plot unravel. Yep. Uh, it's kind of one good scene after another, all with great dialogue. Mm-hmm. The actual, the way they're pl- trying to sort of stage the murder on a, tr- uh, which involves a train. Mm-hmm. That sequence is particularly suspenseful. Yep. Um, but uh, yeah, I think, like, if you were to only watch one kind of classic noir, I'd probably say this should be the one. Yeah. yeah. Uh, if you just want to see what the genre is about, but you don't want to watch like twenty of them. Check out Double Indemnity, which, by the way, that name sounds weird. It's an insurance term for, like, like a rare insurance clause, like, that you where you get double you get payout, double payout. Yeah. if you, like, die in kind of any, like, an unusual way, yeah. like, say, on a train. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and the other one I watched is also a noir, although in a different vein. Right, it's not like a crime story. And that is 1950's Sunset Boulevard. Yeah. Uh, the movie was just up against uh, uh, the Third, the third Man, man yeah. in a bunch of Oscar races. Yeah, uh, and believe belongs there. This is a um, this is a Hollywood story. It is a, a screenwriter develops a dangerous relationship with a faded film star determined to make a triumphant return. Uh, it has one of my favorite weird openings. Yeah, so uh. the the lead guy William Holden is this like screen screenwriter who he's had some luck. He's written some movies, but he's definitely on the downward slope of his career. Right, he he's, can't sell a, a cannot sell a script. He's running out of money. There are guys who come to his house. They want they want his car. He's like, yes, made his payments on his car. He tells him, oh, I loaned that car to a friend, which turns out to be bullshit. Right. He and just has it across like the way in a parking lot where the guy's got to deal with because he knows they're going to come for him. And he, he needs his car. It's L.A. and he needs his car. So he's driving around trying to pitch these hacky screenplays. Yeah. Um, 
and these guys spot him driving around. And they gotta chase and, him. And there's a little car chase, and it's really good. His, and he gets a flat, and he winds up pulling into this dilapidated mansion and hiding his car in the garage. And it turns out this, this mansion is occupied yes. by a woman named uh, Norma Desmond, played by silent film star Gloria Swanson. Yes, and, and she's her, playing a aging silent film star. And her, her, her butler... Uh, Max. Eric, Max von Meyerling, uh, played by Eric von Stroheim. A somewhat mysterious German butler. German butler, yep. There, there was reveals to be had about him yeah, before the, reveal, the story The reveal out. ties into Eric Stroheim's... Both Stroheim and Swanson were playing versions of themselves here. Yeah, it's wild. And I think they kind of had to be talked into it, it sounds like. And here's but, the weird. Here's the really weird part. So when he finds out that there's somebody in there... They're, they start people like he's at the door looking in and yeah. somebody's like oh you're late get in here yep. and it turns out she in her, all her weird eccentricity yep. had apparently a pet chimp yep. that has died and she's like she's waiting for a person to deliver the child the coffin casket the, the casket yep. so they can bury him outside the mansion yep. and he kind of just plays along with it at first he's like well I've got to hide out from those yeah, dudes yeah. so sure and then she finds out he's a screenwriter, and she uh, again she's eccentric and not all there. Yeah, and she and she's like, you know, I've been writing for my comeback. Yeah, and she's like, I, you know, you could go through and edit it, and and you know, well, he kind of talks up. his way into it. She's not, she doesn't all. He, he that's right. Offers it. He's looking for anything, and then it, it's very much soon becomes sort of a kept man. Yes, and I remember when I was watching this for the first time, I was like, of course they're not going to quite show that for the most part, but I'm like. Oh yeah, you know, this guy who's you know meant to be like oh I don't know thirty or something like yeah, that yeah. is sleeping with this woman in her fifties um, and scandalous in nineteen fifty scandalous at the time and um, uh, because there's no he's not in love with her he everyone has, knows women after over forty five are supposed to go to the convent <laughs> but it's retire. less it's kind of less the it's like he's not particularly attracted to her or into her. No. this is for the money yeah. and uh, to to keep uh, to survive yeah. It's, um, it's a very sort of sad and twisted story. Yeah. And what they do is, and here's where the sort of noir thing kind of comes about, is like he's, he kind of becomes trapped in this even when there's a woman he meets, and she's got her own complicated life, but she's she's a young woman who is like his match in writing, yeah. and they get along, and it's like when they're talking, all it's like it's like they're on fire. They're like they're a great couple together. Right. And they're like they're going to collaborate on a screenplay, and they're working on it. But he's got this hidden life, which yeah. is being funded by this silent film star. And uh, there's a lot of sad turns in this one. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but one or two really beautiful moments too, like when they visit the film set, and that silent film star gets her one moment of glory. And it's actual director Cecil B. DeMille playing himself. Yeah, one of the one of the and big he guys. Directed there. Gloria Swanson and things. Yeah, it there's is, a, there's a lot of Hollywood inside baseball that I think. That we would at the time, this would have been like all the references you get in various movies that are like yeah. Hollywood, and it's funny because you can watch this and not knowing those inside baseball references, it still works as a movie. And I think that's the secret sure. of Easter eggs. Like if you could, if your movie relies on Easter eggs to work, right. that's a problem. But if they're just Easter eggs, you can have them in there fifty years, sixty, seventy years later. Yeah, and true. the movie still works even if you don't know. Oh, that's Buster Keaton, and he's uh, he's one of her buddies, and oh. This is her riffing on her own personality and that kind of stuff. Nick, um, and so I think we both like that quite a bit, but yeah. I think we'd give it an edge to Double Indemnity. Double Indemnity is my favorite of the Billy It's just because it's yeah. so badass. And I'm yeah. going to be watching that later 
Uh, it's on my list. Cool. It's great. Nick, you want to hit us with a few? Yep. Yeah, I'm going to talk about a couple of movies that I am not a huge fan of directors or stars. Uh, so I decided to uh, see if I could test fun- yourself. Test myself. <laughs> test your uh, might, Nick. The first one is After Hours, which is uh, from 1985, and it's Martin Scorsese's kind of weird Kafka esque, uh, bizarre comedy in a lot of mm-hmm. uh, ways. About a man looking to get laid, so he uh, runs across a woman uh, and kind of calls her up in the middle of the night and goes over to her place, and a series of bizarre events occurs. Okay. Uh, it's the the main actor is Griffin Dunn, who I'm not super familiar with. I don't know who that uh, is. Griffin Dunn, yeah. Yeah. Uh, uh, he does, isn't he Johnny Dangerously's brother? Oh, really? I believe so. Oh, interesting. Uh, but yeah, and he, the girl that he kind of By the way, nobody up, knows Johnny Dangerously but us, right? But we do. Yeah, uh, the girl right. that he calls up is Rosanna Arquette. Okay. Uh, this has like a, a laundry list of cameos, like Cheech and Chong are in this movie. Uh, Martin Scorsese movie. Catherine O'Hara, Linda Fiorentino. Wow. Okay. Um, uh, and it's all kind of this weird, bizarre event after event. John Hurd shows up as a bartender. Uh, it's one of those things that I was just like, okay, this is getting weird. This is very weird. But it's also like, in kind of ways... Griffin Dunn, by the way, was also the lead in American Werewolf in London. Yes. Oh, right! Um, I, the, I have seen Martin Scorsese be funny quite often in a dark way in his gangster movies. Like, there's some very funny scenes yeah. in Goodfellas, but usually it's kind of uncomfortable humor or darkly funny. How, how is this his... is uncomfortable humor okay. uh, at times. <laughs> I mean, uh, there are scenes that I'm just like, if I was in this situation, I don't know how I'd react. Oh, interesting. Uh, Griffin Dunn, I, I feel like I could put myself in his shoes on occasion. It gets into what some What kind weird... of person is he? Like, is he a likable guy? He is, is he a, a data. He's a data entry guy. He's kind of a guy who's stuck in a rut, and he he's he knows his his lane, and. For a night, he tries to get out of it, and he gets punished for it. Oh, interesting. <laughs> interesting. Uh, so it, it's that sounds bizarre. like a noir. Uh, Catherine O'Hara playing a uh, Tasty Freeze ice cream truck driver uh, <laughs> is is bizarre and amazing. Okay. At one point, he gets uh, fingered for being a uh, person who's uh, breaking into apartments in this uh, place. Yeah. And... Uh, he, Gets a mob after him. Okay. Uh, so yeah, it's one of those things where I think Scorsese. This sounds like a comedic noir. <laughs> it, it, it a little bit is. Uh, I, the more I've lived with it, the more I like it. Okay. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of growing on me. Okay. Interesting. Uh, the other movie is you're, you're a Scorsese hipster. You're like I, I liked his earlier material before he got into all the gangster stuff. God, I get enough grief for not liking Goodfellas. <laughs> it's it's kind of nice to find one that yeah, I yeah. liked. Uh, the other one is a Paul Thomas Anderson movie. I. I am not a fan of Boogie Nights, nor am yeah. I a fan of There Will Be Blood. I, yeah. I I like Magnolia. I love Punch Drunk Love. Which matter? Are you scared of nights? Scared of blood? Apparently so. <laughs> uh, also, Danny DeLewis is not like my favorite actor. Yeah. I know he is an actor. Right. <laughs> uh, but this movie, Phantom Thread, uh, kind of blew me away. Uh, just sort of... It's, it's about, an interesting and odd premise. Yeah, it's about a uh, guy who is a dressmaker. He's famous. Thing, he'd like makes dresses for queens and like the uh, elite it takes place in the 50s uh he lives basically with his sister who's played by leslie manville who does a phenomenal job Mm -hmm. uh he is very esoteric very kind of stuck in his ways he is a little narcissistic very narcissistic very kind of like it is my way or the highway yeah and then he meets a woman 
who is a waitress in a uh, Scottish like bar. Okay. Uh, and she becomes his muse in a lot of ways, and that muse turns into a relationship that tur- that kind of destroys his ideas of what he is and like legacy and uh, and. It just kind of twists and turns in ways that I was like completely un like taken by. Now, I'll say this: uh, one thing I appreciate about uh, was it Paul Thomas Anderson? Yep. These movies, like although I felt like when I watched Boogie Nights, I felt like it was clearly a child of Scorsese. Yeah, you know, it had that kind of dark darkness and, and dark humor and stuff sometimes, um, and and the needle drops and stuff like that. Yeah, but. There's a certain sameness. He does do a lot of gangster movies and stuff like that. Paul Thomas Anderson seems like he's a little more varied. A little You've bit. Got, like Boogie Nights had like this weird criminal element. Uh, it was the it was porn industry in the early eighties. Yeah. There will be blood. Is like a guy who's like kind of like the worst dad ever. Uh, who is like uh, running uh, or like um, excavating oil yep. or whatever. Drilling then he for did oil. like a coming of age story in Licorice Pizza. Yeah, these are pretty and, different and movies. what's the one, Magnolia? Magnolia is yeah. kind of like this Which familiar... Very different. Uh, yeah. Kind of like destruction in a lot of ways. Yeah. Uh, but this one was... I, I hate to use the word sweet, but yeah. there is a level of kind of like a romance in here yeah. that doesn't border on comedy. It's not a romantic comedy. But it is there like were some a... some sweet bo- elements in Boogie Nights because it had a little bit of a weird found family with his sort of porn industry yeah, people. Sure. But there was some sweetness in it. There's not Mom. completely alien in it. But, uh, I mean, I won't say that, this, that they're the perfect couple by the end of this because they're flawed uh, completely. But... They find each other, and okay. I think I was very taken with the the idea of that. Yeah. I thought Daniel Day Lewis playing kind of not an everyman, but not like a oil baron or something like with right. such so much like. What like you, don't, menace? you don't relate to an oil baron? I do, <laughs> or like his character from Gangs of New York. There's no menace here. There's yeah, just yeah. kind of like an ego, yeah. but there's human uh, something I can relate to a little bit. Uh, and I, I was just blown away by it. It's on Netflix. I definitely recommend it. Should you mention your other Daniel Day-Lewis movie? Sure. Uh, yeah. Last night I watched Lincoln, which uh, it was a... Sp- I've been pimping this one for a while. You have been pimping it for a while. <laughs> it's a Spielberg film that I I don't know why I never saw. Probably because it looked like Boring as Dirt. <laughs> I like Boring as Dirt. I, I love The West Wing. The West Wing is like one of my like comfort well, food television. I didn't know until I saw it that that was a phrase that should be used to describe it, that it was kind of like kind of this lively you know, kind of political dance behind the scenes um, going on. I just thought it was like a biography of Lincoln. Yeah. And in fact, it's extremely focused on this one specific time. Yeah, and I did not know that really. It's about basically trying to pass the 13th Amendment uh, through the House Mm -hmm. and kind of what it takes him, kind of the political uh, backdoor uh, dealings he has to do. Uh, or what his like uh, chief of or secretary of state or some of which are un- unscrupulous, uh, a little unscrupulous. <laughs> uh, this also this is, is like this is the amendment that, that essentially abolished slavery. Abolished slavery, but he uh, already done the pro- was not super popular. He already done the proclamation. Quarters. Yeah, I mean, he there are some. He scenes, needed to get it what ratified. Yeah. basically, there are some scenes here that like about him and using like the presidential they, like, power. Bribe people. They well, yeah. 
don't they like he's like you know get him at lunch or whatever like you know while he's eating take him to a nice dinner yeah. there's well David Strathairn who plays like his secretary of state uh, basically role. hires killer role hires a trio of individuals which includes like Tim Blake Nelson uh, James Chris- Spader mm-hmm. and I forget the it's other guy's cast. name uh, to sort of go around to the various Democrats that they think that they... Because this is all sort of a lame duck. They've all been sort of voted right. out of office. And they're trying to get them to turn uh, their votes around mm-hmm. at the last minute. Uh, but just the scene-to-scene stuff and the way Daniel Day-Lewis just kind of evaporates as a person and just becomes Lincoln yeah. uh, is also so men- profound. He doesn't do menace in this either. He does quiet and fatherly. And yeah, but also mostly like, warm, as I recall. Mostly warm. There are scenes here where he gives kind of like interesting stories, kind of like just one-off stories about various things like he had to do. Uh, there's a funny story that he gives about a, a, a person going into a, a water closet with a picture of Washington uh-huh. on the and he's like yeah if the, the the British were wanting to go fast in a bathroom that had they were afraid of Washington <laughs> it was like this weird just kind of odd joke that yeah, he, yeah. he made but Lincoln ta- dad jokes Lincoln talking about sort of his like not breaking of like the uh, like presidential powers but definitely like bending them he, to basically he famously to, did that to to do what he thought was right, yeah. which was so bizarre. Uh, but it, like, it's a time in history. It's like literally, you know, trying to heal the Civil War. Like, yeah. it's it's an unknow, un- unbelievable pressure. And this does not feel like a Spielberg movie to me. It yeah, it kind of. I don't know what it felt like. It it's has that kind of deeper and smarter in some ways. It doesn't like it feels more like West Wing to be honest. Yeah, it, but it's also exploration a, a piece of history that I stupidly don't know a ton about. Yeah. Like, I know, of course, Lincoln, but, like, all the things surrounding him. Right, we all him? just, like, oh, Lincoln freed the slaves. But, like, this is kind of shows the things he had to do, the compromises he had to make, uh, sometimes the backdoor deals, and, like, the kind of scavy stuff he even did sometimes. And I also say that Tommy Lee Jones gives a really good performance I forgot here. Tommy Lee Jones is in He it. plays a pivotal role in kind of the uh, passing of the amendment, and, uh, yeah, it, it, I just, I really enjoyed this movie. I, I thought it was great. Dave? Um, let me knock out a few real quick. Uh, I'm going to mention a uh, dumb comedy I saw that I, I was like, I need to see this movie just to see it. It's on my five, five, one of my categories is five, on this list is five comedies. Yep. And I don't actually tend to watch a lot of comedies and I was like, I need to see this dumb movie Zoolander. <laughs> I was like, right. I think there's a solid chance I'll like it because I like Anchorman. Uh, with Will Ferrell, and this is not a Will. This is a uh, Ben Stiller, Stiller movie, yeah, but Will Ferrell does happen to play a large part it in does. it as uh, Mugatu, the <laughs> evil fashion designer, who's very much from like the out of a '60s spy movie kind of thing. Yeah, know? he's got like crazy like platinum hair, yeah, yeah. clown like. Um, but the, the the central premise is you've got like an utterly vacuous male model of the early two thousands, <laughs> just the dumbest guy in the world, mm-hmm. and you find out that there is a secret cabal uh, that runs the world that has that when when they need something uh, taken care of, they brainwash a male model who can get into places that they can't and who are easy to brainwash because they're so stupid, and they will assassinate the right people to make the world go the way that this secret cabal wants. They were behind Lincoln's death. They were behind JFK's death. And it's, once that, that premise is already ridiculous. Um, so I'll say this. I was about ten minutes into the movie, and I was like, ah, you know, I'm not really feeling it. It's, it's fun, but it's not funny, funny. Um, and there's a scene where 
Ben Stiller's character, Derek Zoolander, mm-hmm. uh, is uh, partying uh, with, uh, driving with his buddies, and they're playing, like, uh, I think, like, Wake Me Up Before wake You me Go. Up before You Go, Go. Right, which is real goofy, and they're just, like, a bunch of doofuses jamming in the car, cheesy as hell. They pause to get gas, and they are... Uh, still dancing, and like they start spraying the gasoline around while they're dancing, yep. mm-hmm. and and he's off like paying or something like that, and he turns around while one of them like lights a cigarette, and he's like, no, <laughs> and the whole thing explodes, and then it instantly you know cuts to their funeral, mm-hmm. <laughs> and and um and you were down, yeah, I was down, I was like that is absurd enough. He explains that he is not... Uh, when he tries to explain that he's giving a eulogy to somebody, uh, which he pronounced a, a, like, you googly, <laughs> uh, and he had to look up. Uh, th- this is all about his performance as, you know, a, a perpetually vacant guy who's trying to learn a lesson but resists it at every turn. Um, it's, and, and his rival, Owen Wilson. Rival is Owen Wilson, a kind of... Spacier, like he's a little bit more of like a Beck, like you know Beck was a singer, of course, mm-hmm. but like a he looks like Beck as model. Yeah. Uh, yeah. He, had, he had kind of the long hair and a little bit more of a hippie Tibetan he's the, vibe. He's got that Keanu yeah. vibe. He's got a Keanu vibe, yeah, for sure. And so they have their arch rivalry. There's a ridiculous later on dan- like a walk off between them, like a mm-hmm. runway model walk off where they have to mimic each other and throw in their own stuff on it. And, you know, they're doing crazy things like headstands and flips and springs. It's being judged by David Bowie. There's an (laughs) evil agent for the bad guys played by Mia Jovovich is like this super vamp, you know, who's almost like almost like the Baroness from G.I. Yeah. Joe. Um, I remember this being a pretty stacked cast. I think most people, yeah, you know, like, you kind of already know if you want to see a movie like this. Yep. You might think it's just too stupid, but uh, I found it was pretty winning and w- is in the same ballpark as something like Anchorman. Sometimes I've, only seen, it, I've only seen it the one time, but you're, you're recapping it makes me want to go back and rewatch <laughs> it, because I had the same exact reaction. I was like, I don't know if I really like this. And then the gas fight, and I was like, okay. Man. <laughs> it's worth the rewatch, I think. Um, it, it is like Anchorman. Sometimes, like, a, a few minutes will go by, and you'll be like, nothing really funny has happened. Well, or, like, some jokes flat. It's like, very a little quotable. Flat. It's very memeable. Did Ben Stiller actually direct this? Yes. Yeah, and yeah. I think that's sort of where... When he directs a movie, he's a kind director. of... He's yeah, a very I mean, odd man. He's got good comedic chops, though. There's a sequence where David Duchovny, who would have been... You know, X-Files would have wrapped it some years earlier... And he plays the conspiracy theorist who's like the deep throat who gets <laughs> yeah. up the secret, who tells them all about the secret modeling scheme. Yeah. Because he himself was once the world's most famous hand model. And now he wears this like glass tube over his hand to perpetually protect it. And so his hand will always be immortal. <laughs> like it is, there is some inspired stupidity. Mm-hmm. I believe this. Uh, ben Slur's wife is the female leader. Christine, Christine Taylor. 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 Yeah. this. I did yeah. not know yeah. it. Yeah. Um, uh, Randy, what you got? Um, so I also watched a comedy. This is a dumb comedy from about 2013. Yep. Um, called The To-Do List. This is um, Aubrey Plaza, who you may know from a variety of things, but at this point she was about three or four years into Parks and Rec. Okay. Um, Bill Hader, who just came off a really spectacular turn on um, Barry on HBO. Yep. Um, this is actually written and directed by his then-girlfriend, Maggie... I forget her name. Okay. Um, I, this is in my... In Maggie the, Carey. Dave, what's that? Carey. Maggie Carey. So, Dave, you, uh, you you had challenged us to pick uh, five movies that won the act, uh, the Academy Award for Best Actress. Right. I have already seen all the movies that have Best Actress that I wanted to watch. Yep. Uh, I've seen a lot of those movies, and I was like, well, 
the ones there's a couple I might watch, but mostly I like I was like ah, not feeling a lot of these, so I changed the category to five movies for female directors. Sure. Um, the challenge is versatile enough to accept cheating. I felt like this was in the same vein. Yes. Uh, but so this is this movie made my list because I'm like I love Aubrey Plaza. The cast is great. It's got uh, Marissa Gold from uh, from the Good Good Wife uh, or the Good Fight. Uh, that, that's not the that's the character's name. But and then Alia Shawkat from Arrested Development. They yep. are like her best buddies. And uh, Scott Porter from Friday Night Lights. Andy Samberg. And yeah. Andy Samberg is has like a cameo oh, okay. kind of role. Uh, Bill Hader, like I said, uh, Rachel Bilson uh, from I forget what show. It sounds like this should all work. So the premise of this is that this valedictorian she graduates high school and she is a virgin and she is an overachiever type and she decides she's going to create the to do list. She's going to do all these sex acts before she goes to college. Okay, uh, sounds like a fun raunchy raunchy premise. Yes. Uh, the the problem is Aubrey Plaza doesn't play the... She's not that character. Yeah, that doesn't sound like her normal character. And, and she, I mean, she's good. She's Robbie Plaza's a good actress, but, like, she's... It'd be kind of like you, you get someone and they're just, like, not using their strengths. It's like she's acting with one hand behind her back. I'm like, right. her strengths are, like, this acidic, uh, you know, sarcasm and uh, being smarter than everybody else in the room and being sort of blasé about things. Mm-hmm. And having her be sort of the wide-eyed innocent learning about sex doesn't really work. It's a little odd. You know what? It sounds a little bit like the premise of that movie, Booksmart. Yeah, yeah. I think uh, Booksmart's a better which version. Is probably of this. a better version of that. Yeah. Um, so yeah, there's there's a couple cute bits, and there's a whole runner about her and the guy who plays Young Neil from Scott Pilgrim. Yep. That he was like her science pal. He was like her lab partner, and he has a huge crush on her, and it's whether or not they're going to get together. And I don't care about it at all. Uh, um, uh, Donald Glover is in this. Huh. Uh, like, there's a ton of people who are just. There's a lot of funny people. Entirely wasted. Huh. It's not a bad movie, but it's extremely mediocre. And I wouldn't point. There's nothing I point to. Be like, oh, that was funny. There's. It's like. There's not even a bit where I'm like, oh, that little bit stands out as like a good part in a bad movie. It's just kind of mediocre throughout. Do you want to mention the other movie that did not live up? Yes, very quickly. Let me say, and I'm aware this is not a popular opinion. I'm aware because I posted on Facebook, and wow, did my friends come for me. <laughs> um, I saw the new team as part of as the animation does not Disney Pixar, which is the category. Yep. I watched uh, after a long time. I watched the TMNT Mutant Mayhem, and I hated it. <laughs> uh, I thought it was doofy. I thought it was uh, slapstick comedy instead of being smart. Right. I thought the action was lame. I thought the changes they made to the turtles were dumb. I didn't. Think, I thought the animation was okay. Like that. That's probably the best thing about it. And Nick, you had seen this and also been kind of not. So no, I agree with all the criticism Randy's throwing at it because yeah. it is kind of a. It wasn't for me. It's a goofy. I mean, I think we all aimed, thought it could be like sort of like the Spider Verse movies. Yeah, and they're you know, definitely a, a fresh reinterpretation. Definitely aping Spider Verse. Yeah, yeah, like they're trying to do Spider Verse, but the thing is, they miss the heart. I think. Like, there's not a lot of heart to this. It is. It is. Well, for some reason, it didn't resonate with us. It certainly resonated with a lot of people. It didn't resonate with a lot of people. And I think if you're younger, this makes sense as a movie for, like, younger people. But, like, the people who I knew who liked it are definitely not that much younger than me. Right. This feels aimed at, like, 10 year olds. (laughs) There's an extended puke joke. What this tells us, Randy, is that we've got a lot of friends who like movies for 10 year olds. Yeah. There was not a lot of ninja in this ninja. There was not a lot of ninja. Oh. 
Uh, Jackie Chan is not that that good as, as Splinter. It's not a good Splinter. He's not. He's not a good. That's not. Good that's Jackie not Splinter. Chan, no, he's not Splinter. I get what I get. What they were thinking. Yeah. It's also it's a Seth Rogen movie. He's like involved in the produce production. And I saw one of my friends was like, it kind of depends on whether you like Seth Rogen. And I don't tend to like Seth Rogen. That's weird. I there, do. There's actually, exceptions. So. I liked. Oh yeah, you do. Do like Seth Rogen mm-hmm. stuff. I, I hate most. I of mean, his production company too. does like the boys and everything like uh, the that. The boys so, is the only thing he's done that I think I've liked. Uh, I, I I like Seth Rogen. Uh, most of his comedies tend yeah. to land for well, me. Well, this this feels in a, of a, of a piece with his his comedies, and then I think it's dumb. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, I think Nick would disagree uh, with that specific part uh, this, uh, this, as relates to his other ones. This is my least. first big misfire, and it's funny that uh, I, the guy who would, would have almost often said. I don't like I don't like movies made before 1985. Uh, the first misfire was the uh, most recent movie. Both misfires were, were recent movies, 2013 yeah. and, and 2020. Sometimes they don't make them like they used but, to. Yeah, the 1940s, <laughs> 1950s stuff totally hit with me. Uh, that's that's I'm only up to five so far, Dave. Okay, what's your, what's your, you want to wrap up and then we can let Nick uh, run, we'll, the, run we'll the, let the, you close uh, it out, sure, in a marathon. I will go to my weird turtle movie. Yes, my weird turtle movie, weird turtle movie was actually really good, but stranger than I expected. It's uh, called The Red Turtle, and it was a joint production between Studio Ghibli, which definitely got my attention, yep. and a French-like production company, yep. or like a French writer, maybe. Yep. Um, it's essentially, like, if you want to think of this as a story like Castaway, you know, the, the one with uh, Tom Hanks trapped on an island, um, and what I thought it was going to be, and uh-huh. what it kind of is, <laughs> there is like it is like a sort of serious survival story, which is very beautifully rendered, mm-hmm. and sometimes very harrowing. Uh, like sometimes it's very chill and, and tranquil and beautiful. Right. By and large, this is a movie that's kind of, in some ways, kind of chill and relaxed. Does it have a? But, is it a Miyazaki visual is, style? Yes, but it looks like. Like, the characters, instead of having sort of realistic eyes, have, like, a single black dot for the eye. Huh. Um, yeah. So it's they're a, just lightly stylized. But, like, the island is... And so are some of the colors. But it kind of feels real, too. Okay. All right. Like, it, like it looks... In animation, it looks realistic. Okay. Um, yeah, I had to look at the animation style. It's very interesting. Yeah. Um, but this guy, uh, who, by the way, I get the impression that this could have taken place, although there's not one word of dialogue in the whole movie. This is told visually. Mm-hmm. Uh, that he could have, it could be like the 1800s even, because like one of the few things that washes up is like a barrel, like an old wooden barrel. Okay. And there's one or two thing, other things about like just uh, th- maybe maybe something else he sees or imagines that looks a little old timey. Okay. Um, but anyway, it's irrelevant. He's doing survival stuff. He's eating uh, eating fruit. He's trying to stay alive. Make some clothes. Hunt fish. Things like that. Um, but it, he's in, he's initially by himself, and um, uh, he has this interactivity with a giant red turtle, like one of those turtles that's as long as as big as a person, basically. And uh, I kind of don't want to say exactly what happens, but there's a weird dark turn to it. Yeah, he's all us, and it's weird. Yes, and uh, and some mystical type things that maybe happen that make push it a little bit more into like a, almost like a fairy tale realm. And yet, the realism is also maintained throughout. So, uh, so you've been watching it, kind of like, and, and he occasionally has dreams that are slightly hallucinatory. So you're 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 not a hundred percent sure. It's kind of like, is this for sure happening? And I think the answer is yes. Like, this isn't a movie that's aiming to trick you or say it was all a dream or anything right. like that. Uh, but it is an it's a fascinating ride that sometimes sometimes sad, sometimes very exuberant. I think sometimes very harrowing. 
Um, but if if the premise of Studio Ghibli animating something like Castaway with lots of attention to natural detail for, from these kind of like slightly fun hermit crabs that's, that go across the beach to these really beautifully rendered turtles at times and fish and other things, birds... Um, like if 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 you're kind of a nature person, you should see the movie. Uh, but no, it's going to take a few strange turns. If you're an, uh, kind of like the warning, like Watership Down. If you're an animal lover, know that there may be some disconcerting scenes in this for you too. I had to look it up. It's a it's directed and like animated by a person named Michael Ducot De Witt. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's a Dutch animation uh, yep. guy. He's been nominated a couple times for Academy Awards. This one did get nominated for an Academy Award. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Uh, but I guess he worked on like heavy metal at one point. Oh, interesting. Uh, but okay. a lot of his other ones are kind of got that same style as this. This hmm. tends to kind of a very it, kind of a brushstroke kind yeah. of. Uh, it looks yeah, kind of like very beautiful watercolors at times, but kind of dark. Yeah. Um, if it wasn't for a few of its dark turns, I'd say it's kid appropriate, but it's kind of not. Yeah, uh, you'd probably. I saw somebody suggesting ten and up, and I'd say maybe ten or twelve and up. Okay. Um, and even then, you want to have a kid who's kind of familiar with some, uh, you know, more like Miyazaki type stuff. Last movie I'm going to mention here: uh, a good and dark movie from the Safdie brothers, the guys who made Uncut Gems. Anybody who's seen that knows that they are particularly good at sort of. Paranoid, uh, very polished movies, but about extremely broken, sometimes terrible people. Yep. Adam Sandler, in the least Adam Sandler role of all time, uh, plays a guy who is a, uh, what is it, a jewel seller? What's a jewel? Jeweler? What do you call yeah, that? A jeweler, yeah. Uh, like, like super high end, expensive, you know, thousands or tens of thousands of dollars, uh, in that one. And he, I, I think Sandler gives the performance of a lifetime that's like an Academy Award winning, pre, uh, you know, performance. This actually felt, when I watched it, it was, I felt like it was a lead up to that that wasn't quite as good. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, but it is compelling. I started to watch it intending to go to bed and then I watched the whole movie because I couldn't turn away. Huh. Um, uh, Robert Pattinson. Robert Pattinson also turning out an amazing performance. This is one of those movies that made people say, oh, he's not just the doofus vampire in Twilight. Uh, he plays a kind of like a little bit of a low life though, or a lot of bit he's of low life. Very skeevy. Uh, but he's it, when you we first see him, he's got a, a brother who has some uh, mental difficulties. I mm-hmm. guess I'd say some learning difficulties, and he the very first thing you'd see him do is pull him out of a therapy session that looked like it was getting somewhere. Yeah. Like so, the first thing you do is, and he's like, "Oh, I didn't tell you you could do this or whatever," and. Um, uh, you're confusing him, and like instantly, he seems to make the wrong choice every single moment. But also, like Adam Sandler's character in Uncut Gems, to have an, un- an uncanny ability to kind of weasel out somehow yeah. desperately, yeah. and yet his situation is just getting worse and worse and worse because uh, he and his brother um, are. Um, I guess desperate for money. Well, they're like bank robbers. If... Well, that happens, but they are not bank robbers by like trade or right. anything. No, it's just but kind they pull of like off a robbery early on, and it goes very wrong. Yep. Um, like an ink thing uh, pops in them in the car, and they get sprayed with the. Then they're like coughing from the smoke, and he's trying to figure out if he can still move any of the money once they get cleaned up, and then but his brother gets caught and goes to jail. And gets into a, like a fight in jail, or like some dudes beat him up, 
And he, the heart of the movie is he finds out that they're holding him at a hospital that's like near to the prison holding center. And he's like, I'm going to go get him out of there. And he's really never thinking more than like, you know, 30 minutes ahead. Mm. Uh, but like, he actually is fairly, somewhat clever about getting into the hospital. You know how like, you know, in The Fugitive, you're watching him and yep. you're like, oh, he's so sly. This is like the much more desperate <laughs> version of that. Yeah. But there is just a little bit of his of cleverness to him when he's yeah. pulling it off. And uh, I don't want to say quite what happens no. because that's it's a it's it's pretty good. But like once he gets he does manage to get him out of the hospital, and then things take some wild turns. Okay. Um, and again, it roughly all takes place in maybe like a day. I think it's all yeah. one night essentially. One night. one night of things going worse and worse and worse. Uh, I'm, I'm going to recommend the movie, but a little bit lightly, and I'd say if you're only going to catch one extremely anxiety-inducing uh, movie uh, of this sort, catch Uncut Gems. Yeah. But I do think it's it's worth it, and he gives an amazing performance. The One of the Safdie brothers themselves Benny. portrays his brother uh, and is really good at it. You'd be like, oh, this guy is mentally handicapped. He's, <laughs> he's for sure real. Um, but, uh, no, he's, like, one of the co-directors, I guess, yeah. and writers. And he's also been on, like, Obi-Wan Kenobi. He, he did, he's in that Showtime show, The Curse. Yeah. He, he's that, I mean, they're both. He seems like a everywhere. very talented actor. Yep. Um, all right, so, Nick, that was, uh, that, for me, that was, that's the movie Good Time. Yeah. so, unlike Randy, I don't think I've hit any, like, Bombs yeah. for yeah. my movie challenge, yeah. but I've definitely I've be def- that far in and not. But I've definitely hit some that are not amazing that I'm not going to spend a ton of time on. Uh, those would include uh, the Raid Redemption, yep. which uh, was part of the foreign film. Is that the second Raid? Movie? No, no, it's the first one. That's oh, just okay. called Raid Redemption. I I'm going to be the horrible person and say Dread did it better. Uh, <laughs> I just think Dread was more. It had my attention more. Yep. This one, I thought, I thought the action was good, but most of the other stuff was just kind of. I've seen that before. Yep. It's done well, but eh. uh, another movie I'll mention quickly is a movie called Clute. I'd never heard of it, but I've heard of it. I don't know what it is about at all. But it's basically a about a it's a disappearance case that uh, Donald Sutherland plays, kind of a small town detective. Hmm. He gets kind of sucked into it. The only person who has any knowledge of it is a uh, high-priced call girl played by Jane Fonda. Huh. I, 70s movie? I, 70s movie. It's got that 70s kind of thriller pace, which is a little slow, a little methodical. Yeah. It's not for everyone. Definitely not for me. Uh, I will say that Jane Fonda turn, does a phenomenal job. She is a very nuanced character. It's not just a one note. They delve kind of yeah. deep into like her psyche and what drives her and why she does what she does and why she wants to stop doing what she's doing. Uh, so I thought that was great. Is that part is of it, it? Is one of the characters named Clute? Where's yeah, the Donald's other one. Pl- his, Clute. John Clute. Okay, okay, all right. Uh, and yeah, it it was solid. Okay, I, I, but I don't know if I'll ever revisit it. Right. Yeah. yeah. Uh, a movie called House, which is on Dave's list, so I'm not going to talk about it. Is this, is this the Japanese? This yes. is the Japanese from oh uh, god, what was this? 1977. Yeah. Uh, the less said, the better, because I think you have to experience what this is. Just know that uh, a, a group of Japanese high schoolers visit a house in kind of rural Japan, uh-huh. and things go weird. Yeah, I've heard it's kind of bonkers, just insane. You know, I guess, Nick, I know it's not this kind of movie, but, like, 
I know when people like first saw Dusk Till Dawn and the vampires come out and they're like, what the fuck? Yeah, yeah it's a little bit, but there more. is something but like more that, than but that. crazier. But yeah, crazier okay. than that. Got it. Uh, Foreign Correspondent, which is an Alfred Hitchcock film that I'd never seen. Uh, there, It was kind of like a lesser outing for him. Was there it was from some, his earlier day? Yeah, it's a little earlier. Uh, about a, a kind of a podunk uh, writer getting turned into a foreign correspondent right before the beginning of World War II. Okay. And uh, he gets caught up in kind of a a political assassination and I mean, oh, premise wise that sounds uh, dope premises it, it is kind of falling Hitchcock's everyman kind of thing of like getting caught up in a larger thing like the man but who knew too had, much it's like he hadn't perfected the style you kind of see the perfection yet. of the formula as he goes along and like that's why he remade the man who knew too much because he was like oh I could do it better and blah 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 right and he remade 39 steps as well yep uh, then we get into the last couple that I, I will kind of go a little more in depth uh, the movie I'm Maltese Falcon. I've oh, yeah. never. I mean, I'd seen it, but it had been so long that I remembered pretty much nothing it's about a classic it. Classic detective movie. It's a, lot, a lot of noir coming out of your uh, challenge here, Dave. Yep, yep. Well, I, I feel like that's probably good. Well, it's such a commonly discussed thing. We talk about like Spider-Man noir, yeah. but you know, for a lot of people, it's just the trappings. It's like yeah. gangsters and pistols in the yeah. 1940s, and I'm like. There is something more to it, this, you know, kind of usually sort of dark philosophy of people trapped in their ways. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and, and this is a story that basically a woman comes to Sam Spade and his detective agency yep. for, to kind of trail somebody, and that ends up into a, a murder that kind of evolves into this uh, kind of race to find the Maltese Falcon. Which What's is the this, Maltese Falcon? It is a fabled figurine that is supposed to be like gem encrusted, but it's been covered with like a, a substance that it just gives this kind of like onyx kind of version of like this falcon. Right, right. It looks like a plain statue, yeah. but there's like the, goodies beneath underneath. it, and it's caused much fervor, and people want it. And one of the main people it. behind it is. Uh, uh, a character played by Sidney Greenstreet, which yep. I think he does an amazing job as kind of this over-the-top but kind of menacing... Uh, uh, I don't even know, but he's just like kind of menacing. See the he, guy they refer to as the Fat Man. He is the Fat Man. Uh, and he uses uh, Peter Lorre as his underling. Yep. Peter Lorre is amazing. Uh, yeah. th- this is honestly, though, Humphrey Bogart. I mean, his turn as Sam Spade is kind of... Quintessential tough guy. Yeah, he is the man who is a thousand moves ahead of you. He can roll with any uh, punch and wrinkle that gets thrown his way. Yeah. Uh, Does he get his ass kicked <coughs> a lot too? Not or? a ton, honestly. Okay. He maybe I gets the drop remember. taken. He he does get knocked out once. Yeah. I remember that. Uh, but for the most part, he feels like he's ahead of the game. Okay. Uh, it's a wonderful movie. Uh, I. Th- it, yeah, it's it's kind of perfect. There's yep. not really anything I can criticize. That's how I felt about uh, Double Indemnity, so yeah. yeah. The other right movie on. that I would call perfect is It Happened One Night. Oh, man. Uh, which is Clark Gable and Claudette Colbert. This is a 30s movie, like, earlier than I tend to go. Right. But, um... Uh, this was as close to a five-star movie as I could get. I think I gave it four and a half. Mm -hmm. But it is the primer for every romantic comedy movie you have ever seen. In a good way. In a good way. Not like you're going to be like, oh, this is stuff I'm all familiar with. It's like you're going to see some charming-ass characters. Yes. Uh, I mean, I was not prepared for how charming Clark Gable could be. Because when I hear that, it's Gone with the Wind. And right, forever, I don't give a damn. Right. And forever, I will hear this character that he plays in this, who is kind of a... Not a washed-up reporter, but he's definitely kind of... A, not 
skeevy, but close to that. He's roguish. He's, He's roguish. <laughs> That's a good way of putting it. Uh, he finds out about... He uh, is on a train with a yeah. woman that turns out to be a runaway heiress who is trying to get back to a husband that her rich uh, father does not want her marrying. Right. And from there it goes to kind of zany antics and... Uh, Kind of scandalous little scenes for the thirties, I would say. Oh, yeah, there's so so. What happens? Why why does he end up traveling with her? He's just on the the train with her. No, but why do they end up? They end up going. Or to not a bus. She's on a bus. Uh, she, she's trying to get to is it Flor- from Florida to New York? Is that right? Where her husband is? I don't remember the exact stuff. I can't a hundred percent. Is he? He's like escorting her with the promise of the big scoop of her or something. Yeah, like that's that. what it turns into when he realizes who she is. Right. Yeah. I mean, like, uh, just, that's the basic premise of the movie. And so they're traveling, and they're kind of reluctant companions. Yep. But they start to some sparks start to fly, and there's like a scene where they're like at a motel. And they're like, well, we both got to change and stuff. And he puts up the walls of Jericho. Yep. The, uh, <laughs> where a like, blanket. He hangs a clothesline between them and he mm-hmm. puts up a blanket. But the movie does, even after they dim the lights, they kind of show them change out of their clothes, yeah. which was Very super sexy and risque for the time. I think that might have been pre-Haze Code mm-hmm. yep. so that they could be a little bit like racier with it. Um, but uh, there's no nudity. No, but, no. Uh, but that was something like in, like, there are certain movies in the 20s and stuff where there actually is nudity mm-hmm. to... Just wasn't it wasn't illegal yet because they hadn't uh, the censors hadn't gone crazy. But there's like sequences on the bus where they're like doing like songs that were really uh, really funny. Uh, there's the hitchhiking sequence. The hitchhike, is famous. The hitchhiking sequence is famous that he tries all of his little uh, different versions of the thumb. Right, uh, he's like, let me show you how. Because he's like, let me show you how it's done, kid. Yeah, he thinks he knows all the stuff. He's, he's he presents himself as this world weary guy. Yeah, and he's like, uh, but he's kind of being funny too. He's like, he's like, sometimes if they go, if you know they keep driving past, I give them the long face, and he like does this real slow uh, thumb thing with the, like his sad ass face. And he keeps trying it, and they like they just keep driving by him. <laughs> and she's like, "Let me give it a shot." And he's like, "Whatever." And she like walks out, just lifts her skirt a little bit, shows a little leg, and this they insta cut to like they smash cut to this dude's foot on the brake, <laughs> and it's, it's super really funny. funny. Um, this one, uh, this is it's not Capra, is it? So I'll look it up. I believe it is. It may, it may be Frank Capra. Okay. I believe it is Frank Capra. Interesting. Okay. It is laugh out loud, hilarious, charming. Uh, I think. Um, and uh, and has I think one of the best endings ever. Yep. Um, yep. You know, um, uh, there's a few of the movies we've talked about that have really particularly good endings, and that's you know like I think Dublin Demony did Sunset Boulevard has a famous ending. Yeah. And uh, this one I think though, as far as like kind of a kind of a feel good ending, but that uh, also has something like that. I, I was like laughing my ass off yeah. at it too. I, I found uh, myself laughing like. Pretty much all the way through this. This was yeah. a, a highly entertaining movie. And Claudette Colbert is also great as the heiress who can, can kind of go toe-to-toe with him. I think that's what they were sort of starting to realize and why the formula works is the balance of power isn't like that the male or the female has it, lords it over the other person. No. They were equals. She's got a little Catherine Hepburn a little bit. Yeah. D- but She might be doing that. What do they call that? There was like, a, a, like an invented accent like the... Uh, oh, man. Um... Nick, Randy, do you remember this? The, the, the like the made up accent that they. Oh, you're talking about in Sunset Boulevard. In in lots of stuff uh, that's meant to sound like a little upper crust. Well, like I, I know in Sunset Boulevard, um, uh, 
Tony Curtis is doing a sort of like Cary Grant impression. Yeah. Right. Mid-Atlantic. That's what I was okay, looking for. Yeah, yeah, yeah. A consciously learned accent of English which was mainly used by the American upper class. It was like an invented line, uh, thing in the 30s and, st- and stuff. Like, uh, I think when you hear people talking like this, yeah, yeah. It's, that's like Mid-Atlantic. Yeah. But anyway... My point is just that she's she's got this kind of brashness yep. and and it stands her own. She trades barbs with him, trades witticisms. Uh, so so big credit to her as well. Uh, the last two I'll mention are Big Night, which is Stanley Tucci and uh, Tony Shalhoub as brothers in a failing Italian restaurant. But they have one last shot. They have one last shot because a famous uh, crooner is coming, uh, put together by the other Italian. Uh, restaurant down the road uh, as kind of a favor to them. Uh, the owner of that one is Ian Holm, who I think does an amazing job in this as kind yeah. of a uh, scumbag. Yeah. But uh, yeah. That is quite the cat. <clears throat> I mean, good. it also oh, has like yeah. Isabella Rossellini and uh, why am I blanking? Uh, Alice and Janney. Uh, uh, Mel Driver, Mini Driver. Good it, lord. I've it, seen this movie, but I'd forgotten the cast was that good. It, it also is... So uh, good. It also kind of... If you're a foodie, you kind of want to be there when all oh of this. Oh my god, the food looks so <coughs> The this. timpano, which I've never had before, yep. but I want to experience yeah, it at yeah. some point. So this is yeah, set you should 19- make that for us, Nick. <laughs> this is set in the 1950s, but it is made in 1996. Yeah. Uh, it's directed by Stanley Tucci and uh, another actor who... Uh, uh, Campbell Scott. Campbell Scott, who shows up as the car dealer in this. Right. Uh, and there are scenes in here that are just wonderful and heartbreaking, uh, the final five minutes of the film is just so touching. Yeah. Uh, I, watch this movie. It's it, it's, it's, it's great. Super great. I, 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 my wife loved this movie, and it did not seem like a thing I would like, and I watched it a few years ago and loved it. And then the last one, uh, which was a uh, recommendation uh, from Dave, I believe. Uh-huh. Uh, to, I've seen this movie once, and I've never seen it again since it came out, which was Misery. Uh, which is Rob Reiner and William Goldman's uh, adaptation of a Stephen King uh, novel. Uh, I liked the novel. Mm -hmm. The movie, though, just kind of... I don't know why it didn't resonate me on first watch. Uh, Rob Reiner, I always kind of gravitated to Stand By Me. uh, Sure. Just because I thought... I mean, that one's made the two best King adaptations. There's some other very good ones, too. But Flanagan has definitely kind of made a name for himself. In there, but yeah, mis- for me, Misery and Stand by Me were the two tops. But um, but yeah, you said it didn't initially resonate. Didn't and initially. So did you have a different opinion? I this did. Time? Uh, I really really enjoyed this. This is very kind of dark, and uh, Kathy Bates, uh, Annie Wilkes is like <laughs> yeah. instantly like the most scary person I've uh, can it's imagine. Very watchable. It's very watchable, and, and it she kind like of it should be like Stephen King. Sometimes puts these characters in situations that you're like. Wait, is this character just basically being tortured? Because that's what uh, what's the one where the the wife is struck? Gerald's game. Gerald's, Gerald's game. game, and yet these end up being these amazing stories that yeah. are told. But, um, but and the, but the story is James Conn plays a famous writer. Yeah, he is working on his final book, and he's basically in this secluded cabin, and he's going to go back to New York because he's finished it. And he and hates he, the series he's writing. He hates the series he's writing, and he has a car accident. Stephen King's worked some stuff out. Yeah, yeah, that's true. He's like working on something that, like, the Misery Chastain novels, isn't that what they're yep. called? Yeah. Are, are like, it, they, they sound like his own sort of dramatic Jane Austen-y type yep. things, a yeah. period piece with romance and gothic elements. But he's hate, but, but he hates them. 
they're popular, but he's had to make them to, to live, and, and now he wants to do, like, a serious, gritty story about, like, his real life growing up in, like, an urban, tough urban neighborhood. But he's in a car accident. And, and it's going to make it tough for him because he's and, found by her. Yes, uh, who may or may not have been basically stalking him, essentially. Right, right. Uh, and the, st- the scenes with them are great. Uh, horrifying. Uh, the the hobbling she scene says, is just. I'm your what is biggest that? fan. Biggest I'm fan. your biggest fan. Yeah. Yes. Uh, there are sequences in here that are just. He when she makes him burn his book. Oh man! I was just like, oh, holy shit! That's just like horrible. Yeah. It's somehow as bad, really, in its way as the violent injury to his leg. Yes. <laughs> Which uh, my wife has problems with uh, broken bones, oh, man. and when that, uh, they only show one of them yeah. getting broken. Yeah, it's pretty awful. <laughs> it's awful. Then you hear the other one. Well, it's I just... haven't I haven't seen this movie since the theater, and like... I still remember that scene. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's funny. I. Uh, uh, I, I thought the worst crap I got this week was from telling people I didn't like TMNT. But no, <laughs> the worst crap I got was when I didn't even do this. You and Serena discovered that I had rated uh, Misery two and a half stars on Letterbox. <laughs> like years ago when I first got yeah, on Letterbox. I, know. I didn't think anything of it. And then y'all were like, I, it was like I had murdered your children. <laughs> and I'm like, I don't know. I'm like, Nick, you should have sympathy because you were at the same place oh, I, I was. I know. I saw it in the theater. I know. I liked it okay. Uh, He's opinionated movie people, Randy. I guess. But I will say, the thing that really made me love this movie, and it's not even the Kathy Bates or James Conn performances, it's the... uh, Supporting characters. The supporting cast. It's the sheriff and his uh, his wife. Yeah, kind of a crotchety old sheriff. Played by Richard Farnsworth. Yep, who is like trying to figure out what happened to uh, James Conn. Yep. Like, reads all of his novels and is kind of getting into it. He's like like, a wry old dude, though. And his wife is like a... I don't know where it went. His wife was like a horny uh, <laughs> they talk about their sex life and just yeah. like you should be in our in my bed as opposed to out on the, <laughs> on the road looking I just was like I forgot that I, I just loved their back and forth it felt like such a kind of palate cleanser to the insanity and, and like harshness well of, also they're presented as his one lifeline Basically, nobody knows where he is. He seems like he's going to be trapped by like, with his the, this worst fan ever and tormented into writing the book she wants. Like, write my fan fiction. Yeah, write my fan Just fiction. Just monstrous idea. <laughs> and and th- and yet we know that out there that there is somebody who's kind of not quite given up on him because yeah, the so world has. It's they extremely like... suspenseful, but they're also really interesting people. Yeah. Uh, I think without those characters, it would feel a little one sided. Mm-hmm. Uh, and. I, I think that just rounds out the movie and beca- it makes it Script become... by William Goldman, by yeah. the way, a guy yeah. who wrote Princess Bride. Um, and and Sundance. Yep, yeah. and he... Uh, so he adapted it from King's novel, and boy, did he make the right choices, yeah. I think. Uh, I really enjoyed this one. Uh, if, if you have a chance, I would definitely revisit it, because it, it's great. All right, well, we'll have more movies next week, probably, unless yep. we just both of us, David, just give up now. <laughs> yeah, uh, make done. a lot more movies one way or the other. <laughs> Um, and that'll be wrapping up for us this time. Uh, we'll be back next week for more. Until that time, yo, Joe. Roguecast is a weekly podcast broadcast from Rogue's Gallery Comics and Games in Round Rock, Texas. You can find us online on Facebook and at www.roguesgallerytx.com and email us comments or questions at roguesgallerytx at gmail.com. Thanks for listening.